Blog Talk Radio. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the president and founder of the West Foundation. West. 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 West Foundation. West. Foundation. West. What is West? West. 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 Athlete, 
and we want to give them a vision of success. We want to equip them with tools that will help them be successful after their sport ends. Now, their sport might end when they finish high school. Their sport might end when they finish college. For some, they're going to get a cup of coffee in the league or get two or three years in the league. And some of them are going to be fortunate and play 10, 12 years in the league. There's only a few Tom Brady's that get an opportunity to play 20 years in the league. But even Tom Brady, football is going to end at some point. So now that football is over, what's next? What am I going to do to be successful? Because it's not like if you truly, if you're an athlete, you're competitive, and you're going to want to compete, you're going to want to be successful. So you got to put yourself in position where you can be successful even after your sport ends. And that's why a lot of companies like to hire athletes because they know that they're competitive, because they know they have a drive to be successful, because they know that it's not just about them, it's their team. And they've been in team situations, so so they know how to work with other people. So these are just some of the things that we want to make sure we do. How do we do these things? The first thing that we do is we have a big football and cheerleading camp in the summertime. That is our our, our marquee event. Um, this year is going to be June 26th down in Conway, South Carolina, at the Conway Rec Center. Now, what makes our camp unique is that we have guys that played with me but mostly guys that play for me that come and be the coaches. So guys from the Citadel, uh, University of South Carolina, NC State, Ohio University, Elon College. Um, I haven't got anybody yet, but hopefully I'm going to get somebody from the University of Texas, San Antonio. And I have guys from Coastal there that they'll have opportunity to pour into these kids' lives. And what I've seen is that these coaches want to come back. They enjoy being out there with the kids because it is an opportunity uh, to just really pour into these kids. And then the other thing that we do is we started doing some life skill stuff. Um, the thing that we talk about the most is financial literacy because I truly believe regardless if you make millions of dollars or you make thousands of dollars, if you're financially literate, you're going to be able to have more money uh, in the end. And the key is, it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. We talk about mental wellness. Uh, we talk about leadership. We talk about character. Uh, we talk about dealing with police officers. Um, when we get an opportunity to get back in front, we want to do something with, with etiquette. So we're just doing a lot of things that we believe are going to help kids, um, when they become young adults, become adults, be successful. And that's what we want to do. Now, Always like to have a thought of the day. And our thought of the day today is, what's your superpower? You're probably wondering, superpower? I don't have a superpower. Well, here's one thing that I, I believe is true, that God has given everybody at least one gift. Usually it's more than one, but everybody has at least one gift. What is that one thing that you excel at? I had a young man that, that played for me um, when I was up at the University uh, of Ohio. Ohio University, and he was five, 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 six, probably about 195, so he was a short, stocky guy. But a lot of times he just kept trying to bounce things, and that's not what he was good at. And I'll never forget, you know, after he finished, he went to a all-star game, and he started running downhill, and he had a really, really good day. And when we came back, we talked about it. You know, it was one of those things that that's, that was your thing. That's what you were good at is getting downhill 
and doing what you do. So the thing is, often we try to do what everybody else does instead of doing what I do well. Concentrate on what you do well. I'm not saying don't concentrate on what you don't do as well because I always want to try to get better. But if we will concentrate on what we do well, then you're going to be that much better. Because the bottom line is, and I'm going to just use running backs and other running backs, there's a lot of good running backs out there. But what sets you apart from everybody else? Is it your quickness? Is it your speed? Is it your power? Is it your vision? Is it your opportunity to, to make plays when plays need to be made? What, what separates you? What makes you different than everybody else? The sooner you understand what separates you from everybody else, the more you can separate yourself from everybody else. That makes sense. So I want to know what I do well. And, and that goes into the business world as well. So what do I do well? You know, uh, do I get along well with others? Am I an opportunity to go on and lead people? Um, am I one that just I serve well? Whatever it is, figure out what you do well and concentrate on that. And if you do that, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to be more successful. And that's the that's the name of the game is we want to find a way to be more successful. Um, today. We, we, uh, I have a very special uh, co-host with me today. He's one that had an opportunity to come to a West Foundation camp, not as a coach, but as a participant. Jackson, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. You're good, good. First of all, Jackson, tell everybody, how, how old are you now? What grade are you in? Um, I'm 12 and I'm in sixth grade. Twelve years old and in the sixth grade. Nice. Well, you are the youngest co-host that I've had on here at this point. So welcome. <laughs> We're glad to have you. We're glad yep, to have thank you. you. Before, before we start talking a little bit about all, you've had an opportunity to come to uh, – uh, have you been to one or the two camps? Um, I think it's like two or three, yeah, something like that. Um, so what was your experience at camp? How did you like that? Um, well, obviously, like what you said, the coaches, um, like we have some like the best coaches, and like they're super, like they're they're super good at um, doing their job, um, and like one of the best parts is they have like individual um, like parts of the camp. It's like they have like a quarterback section, and they'll like team them up with a defense, their defensive counterpart. So it's like very individual, and then. Obviously, like, um, the players that are there are learning from the best, considering most of them played D1 um, and played at pretty big schools, like South Carolina and, like, um, Coastal Carolina. Um, and, yeah, so that's, that's, like, one of the best parts about the camp. Good. Good. Now, are you looking forward to getting to camp this year? Um, yeah. Yeah, you've already, told, you already told your mom that, Mom, we're definitely heading down to South Carolina so we can get to camp on June 26th, right? Yep. We're good. Good, good, good. Well, hey, just to talk a little ball. Now, I think probably the, the, the big headline uh, of the last 24 hours has been Dak 
Prescott, who signed a four-year, $160 million deal, $126 million of his guaranteed. Now, what do you think of that Dak Prescott deal? Um, well, it's obviously great for Dak Prescott. Uh, like, you can't really say he fleeced them because, like, the Cowboys put themselves in that situation. Um, and he was obviously able to do it because if he didn't get the deal done, he could have probably made even more money um, because he could have been tagged for the second year. And I think that would have been around, like, $42 million, something crazy like that. And then if they did it for a third year, it would be like $52 million. Um, but I don't – I would not want to be in Dallas because, like, uh, for me as a player, like, I feel like the most important thing is winning. Um, but Dak Prescott was, like, a fourth-round pick, so he has to get his money. Um, and, like, good for the Cowboys for getting it done. Um, but they should have gotten it done before that probably. Now the, you know, I, I was, I heard, I saw somewhere on on Facebook where, where somebody was like, "What is Dak Prescott doing?" But I think I'm not a Dallas fan. Let me put that out there. I'm not a Dallas fan. I actually, my favorite two teams are the Pittsburgh Steelers and whoever's from Dallas. Um, but uh, but I think that Dak Prescott, you know, he brings something to that team, and and I think it was very important for them, if they're going to have success, that they had to go on and make that work. And then let's put some more pieces around here to make it successful. What do you think of that? Yeah, I agree. Like, they like they would just be, like, so terrible um, if they didn't sign him. And you can kind of look at uh, Houston, their, their Texas counterpart, um, like Deshaun Watson was great, but the team was just – they had like three or four wins. But uh, Deshaun Watson had a great season. Sorry. Yep. Are you still there? Sorry, I'm having internet problems. Um, uh, yeah, so um, like uh, Deshaun Watson like had a great season, um, but – uh, the Texans did terrible, and I could see like a similar thing ha- happening this year, where um, uh, Dak Prescott has a great season, um, but the Cowboys don't do so well, um, or not good at all. Um, but like, so I guess like um, you could see it good, being good for both sides. It just I still think uh, Prescott uh, kind of like won the won the contract. No doubt, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now, here's one thing that I've noticed about Dallas. Um, I, I consider Dallas the underachievers. Um, the last Every time, yeah, the last time Dallas made it past the second round of the playoffs was when? Do you know? Um, no, I'm guessing. I think it was that year um, where Tony Romo was the quarterback and Des Bryant. It was against the Packers, um, and then it was like that catch or no catch thing. That was that actually was in the guess. second round. That was the second oh, okay. round, so they didn't get. So the last time they got past the second round was 1995, and they won a Super Bowl that year. So it's been 25 years since they've been past the second round, 
and there's several years in there where they got first-round buys. So they have not won more than one playoff game since 95. That's yeah, a long time. They, had, they got a lot of uh, first-round buys with Tony Romo, and they had that one game mm-hmm. where he, like, missed the snap. And it was, I think it was against Seattle. Um, but, yeah, they're just – they haven't been able to get over the hump. And, like, the Steelers, they they haven't gotten back to the Super Bowl since they lost to Aaron Rodgers. And I think it was the 10 Super Bowl. Um, But, like, some teams just haven't been able to get over the hump recently. Exactly. And you sort of said something about Seattle. So let's talk about Seattle. Russell Wilson. No, they're saying Russell Wilson wants out of Seattle. Um, saying that he and and uh, Coach Collins have not spoken for a while, and Russell is just not happy. Um, Dallas was one of the teams that Russell said he wanted to get, be traded to. He gave four teams, and Dallas was one of them. So that is off the table now. Um, well, so, um, I see a lot of people like counting that out, but um, like there was talks of a sign and trade, and I don't. I think money wise, it would cost te- uh, both teams like a decent amount of money. Um, but like I feel like it could still uh, like happen, like where um it's like Russell for Dak, and I feel like both teams would be willing to do that trade, um at least a little bit. Now I guess the question is, it was Seattle, and I'm not sure how that would work. If he already signs that deal, was Seattle now got to pay him 160 million? It would be, I think it would be around like. 20 to like 10 to 20 million in dead money for the Cowboys, and then it would be like I'm pre- I'm pretty sure it's 24 million in dead money for the Seahawks. Um, but the guaranteed money does carry over in certain situations, um, but in others like it's dead money, so it's going to nothing um, instead of it like switching over to a different team. Gotcha, gotcha. Now the um. So the Russell thing still might happen there, but Russell, he's dead. Uh, kind of like Deshaun Watson that he wants to get out of there. So, you know, it's uh, you, got a, you got a couple pretty good quarterbacks that want out of where they are now. Um, and then you have Josh Allen, who had a really good year. Um, are they going to go on and put an option on him? Are they going to go on and pay him? Sign a deal with him. What do you think is going to happen in Buffalo? Um, well, like I could just see it getting worse. Like for the Bills, like it's gonna it says like like the Josh Allen side and Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield, like they're all waking up happy, like knowing that this because Prescott just like raises the market, and I feel like Lamar right. Jackson and Josh Allen have both been better than that. So they're like, oh, what we can we get now? And Baker Mayfield has been worse, but, like, he's still been able to uh, get the Browns for the second round and uh, almost beat the Chiefs. Um, And so um, I think the Bills, Browns, and Ravens should all try to get the deal done pretty immediately because it just kind of cost them more and more money each year they wait. Right, right. And, see, I think there's a bigger argument for Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen than Baker Mayfield. Now, I think the potential is there for oh, Baker. Yeah. But what Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson have done, I think definitely is far more than, than Baker Mayfield. 
Um, but even though yeah. Baker got um, some dudes, so I think the future is bright for him as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. I just I was trying to put them all in the same category because they were all the same year. Um, and Big Ten, right. they all have playoff. They all have, I think, a singular playoff win. Oh uh, no, mm-hmm. the Bills have. The Bills have two. Uh, I don't. How know. many the Ravens have? Ravens went, the, Ravens went to the championship the, last year and then lost to the Chiefs. No, the, no, they got they got knocked out. They had the bye and then they lost to the Titans. So this was oh, Lamar so. Jackson's first year winning the playoff game. So Baker has yeah, one, Lamar has one, and Josh Allen has one or two. So they're all in the same category, kind of. Now, same year, I think a different category, and it's partly because of his team, is Sam Donald. Um, so what do you think oh, about yeah. him? Um, yeah, what do you I do feel bad for him. Because, or what? Like, oh, sorry, what did you say? I said, is he a guy you cut and then try to get a quarterback in the draft, or what do you think you do with him? If I'm, like, because I would want the Steelers to try to, like, get him because I feel like Tomlin and, like, just everyone in that organization could try to get him better. But if I'm, like, the Jets, I, like, get – um I trade back to, like, number five, six, seven, a pick like that, get Panay Sewell, um, who's out of Oregon, um, and which is protection for Darnold. Um, you have the pick from Seattle from the Jamal Adams trade. You have a, a pick the year after that from also from the Jamal Adams trade. So you have two picks from that trade. You can your defense was like your defensive line was good and your like uh secondary was terrible. So like I try to fix something about that. But like the most important part is like having protection for your quarterback. Because like even the best player in the world, Patrick Mahomes, like was not he was pretty bad um, without a good offensive line. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. That 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 old line definitely makes a difference, especially when you got a pretty good defensive line that you're playing against. So that is yeah, that is like the trenches. Yep. So if you say, hey, we're gonna go on and let's let's just hunker down, let's get some protection around Sam Ar- Sam Donald and. And, and let's see if we can go in and, and get him better. Then what do you think of the quarterbacks in the draft? Um, well, Darnold coming out of USC, I think it was three years ago, is like more hype than uh, everyone except Trevor Lawrence. Uh, like people are like saying like this is the next like best thing since sliced bread. Um, and like three years later, like most people have given up on him. So like I, I, I keep Sam Darnold. Um, I really like Zach Wilson. Um, just like he almost beat Coastal Carolina, who I'm a fan of, or like the team I'm a fan is like the college team I'm a fan of, and he played great that game. Um, and he just played, even though it's against bad competition, like he still played great. Um, Trey Lance, um, I haven't I I haven't watched any of his games. Um, I would like if the Steers could, like, if they could get Mac Jones, I'd be pretty excited about that. Um, and, like, my friend, he's a Patriots fan, also wants the Patriots to try to get Mac Jones. But, like, a lot of the fans, I think, are high on Mac Jones. Um, but a lot of the, like, analysis people aren't so much. So, 
Um, and I think that covers the guys. Well, you you forgot about Justin Fields. You didn't say anything about Justin. Oh yeah, he he was kind of dropped early, and because I think mm-hmm. in McShay or um, the other one draft, like uh, they had um, uh, Justin Fields going like four, and like I don't, I watched like um, Justin Fields. He played he played terrible against Northwestern. Um, he played like pr- he played really good against uh, Clemson. And then he played bad against Bama. Um, and there was kind of like a correlation to me. Um, his best wide receiver, who I can't think of the name of, he was he didn't play against Bama. He played against Clemson. And he didn't play against Northwestern. So it was kind of like a correlation. He needs to have like a number one receiver, um, which is like okay for your quarterback. Um, but like, if you want him to carry your team, it just, I don't think he's going to be that type of player. I could see him, like, I think his correlation is, like, someone like Dak Prescott and maybe, like, um, like, uh, a less version, a lesser version of Russell Wilson. All right, well, let me ask you this now. If, if Tom Brady don't have all those receivers around him, he's just an average dude, too. Yeah, um, like, I'm kind of, like, a Brady hater, I, I guess you would say, um, because, like, I feel like it's, like, a lot of the stuff around him because he had Randy Moss, Wes Walker, two Hall of Famers. He had Gronk, a Hall of Famer. He had the greatest uh, coach of all time. He has a great offensive coordinator. He had a great defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, until he went to Miami. He had... Um, another offensive coordinator, um, I can't think of the name, that he was, just got fired from Detroit. Um, uh, and, he's, and he had, like, so many Hall of Famers on defense. Willie McGinnis, Ty Law, um, I could continue, Stephon Gilmore. Um, so, it just he's had a lot of help um, is kind of what I'm saying. And you need that, but, like, Mahomes in the Super Bowl, like, his entire team was just trash. Like, um, Kelsey dropped up, like, some easy – like, he dropped a touchdown. Hill t- dropped a touchdown. Demarcus Robinson dropped a two-point conversion. Um, his receivers were – like, not that they're bad overall, but they are bad in that game. And his offensive line was non-existent. Um, and they still were able to put up a fight for the first quarter. First half. First half. Because really, cause really if, if you take away in the Super Bowl the penalty drive, um, and that was a drive oh, right that before one half. Drive. And every, yeah, every every yard except for the last three were from penalties. If you take that away, yeah, it's a totally different game in the second half. Totally different game. Yeah. But that sort of put a little bit you know, out of reach, so to speak, and allowed – the defensive line for uh, Tampa Bay, which is a good defensive line, to pin their air back even more so in the second half because they knew they had to throw the ball to uh, keep themselves back in the game. So if you take that yeah, one away. They rushed, I, they rushed forward like Todd Bowles. He had, I think it was Levante David, Atomican Sioux, uh, Shaq Barrett, and I think they had Levante David in press coverage sometimes. Um, they had right. Sue, Vita Vea, and they were only rushing four, which gives, like, the most people in the secondary 
which is going to help you contain, like, their three main guys, uh, Kelsey, Hill, and I guess you would say Robinson or Watkins. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I agree with you. So. Well, good. Good, man. Well, hey, it was a pleasure having you join us, uh, talking a little ball with you, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on again sometime, okay? Yep. Thank you for having me on. All right, well, hey, well, we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back with our first guest. Hold on one second. All right. Today, more than ever, we think about the air our family breathes. You and your family need to count on your home's air to be clean, free from harmful bacteria, and safe from the coronavirus. Nano air filters are the defense system your home HVAC system needs. Our filter media is created with a super fine spider-like material which captures particles as small as the virus. Standard home filters are just far too porous to do the job. So make the healthy choice. Trade your air filters today by visiting nanoairsolutions.com. Langston, how's everything going? 
<laughs> man, I'm 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 doing well, man. I can't I can't never complain. Can't never complain. Good, good, good. Now, hey, the uh, it was pretty impressive with my man. Uh, he, he was kicking out some good stats, wasn't he? Yeah, man. I was I was listening to him. I was like, you know, somebody. I mean, the recall on that kid was ridiculous. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, the ability to you know remember all that stuff is crazy. And of course, you know. Uh, you know, football is is definitely you know that's what what makes the Sean McVay who he is. You know, as a coach, because I mean he's a guy he's got the recall, but also can see it from a certain vantage point. You know, as a coach, man, that's that's I mean, there's so many different angles to the game. But uh, yeah, when I was listening, I was like, man, this kid is is, is wheeling it all. This is this is wild. He's like twelve years old, twelve years old, in the sixth grade. So. <laughs> I think I think he'll be all right, man. That's that's. I mean, reading, writing, speaking is that that's what we get up there and tell those kids, and he's he's got it, man. He's got to figure it out. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, but tell us what is, what have you been doing since you finished playing ball at USC? Man, uh, just uh, trying to be, uh, you know, took wherever this kind of like next play, as my coach used to say, wherever it kind of took me. I kind of started off uh, doing uh, working with the IMG network at the school. Um, was fortunate enough to start picking it up in about 2012. Uh, my last year playing actual football, football was like 2010. Uh, played in like a spinoff league. It's, you know, so small. The UFL doesn't even – we don't even need to talk about that. That's how bad that was because they still owe me some money. So, uh, But you know how them startup <laughs> leagues are and everything. But uh, that was a great experience. Started working with the IMG stuff, uh, doing a bunch of radio uh, in the city. Of course, um, you know uh, – the biggest thing is that it afforded me the opportunity to be around, you know, the team and the coaches and just kind of like, you know, indirectly be by the players and just can give my two cents whenever that was, you know, whenever that was needed. So, you know, however, um, you know, I always tell people it was crazy to be able to work for, you know, school, doing the, doing the radio, doing all that stuff, but doing it for your home school. And because of course my old man, he went to Carolina, he, he's a graduate of a journalism school. And so, um, you know, that all tied in. Never really saw that as my path when I was playing football, but it makes sense because I spent enough time in radio stations growing up, you know, the whole deal with my old man being a disc jockey and all types of different stuff. So um, beyond that, started writing books with uh, another former Gamecock captain, Preston Thorne, my partner from the Low Country, and, um, you know, been out there with our first book, Just a Chicken. Uh, got our second book, Just a Chicken Little, and we're actually finishing up our third book. Uh, it's going to be called Euster Was a Rooster, and it's going to be out this spring here in about a couple months. So really excited for that and our big thing with that is just like i said man pushing literacy um you know every kid think they're gonna play football or play some type of sport physically our biggest thing is to, is to rely on your brain you rely on the, the ability to get better at a skill versus your talent and you know talent is god-given you know only so many people can run a football and be willing to do that there's a difference you know so uh, we always tell the kids it's a lot easier to have uh you know, your skills sharp and the skills of reading, writing, and speaking will take you really, really far if you get right at those things. So, you know, no different than Steph Curry going into the gym every day shooting threes. You know, you just figure out what it is you like to read about, you know, write about it, and then go tell the world. And that's, you know, pretty much what we do. And that's what we kind of tell kids and use our own story as the example. Um, and just, you know, creating some podcasts. We did a, a seven-part podcast series with the Clemson Carolina rivalry and uh, doing kind of a, a fitness podcast right now. Uh, with a bunch of ex NFL guys called Black Gut, so that's been really cool too. So just trying to stay a little busy, man. Trying to stay a little busy. Yeah, it sounds like you're staying really busy. The, um, <laughs> now, one, 
And and definitely at some point we, we're going to definitely want to get you down and talk to our kids. Because um, again, at, at the West Foundation, the big thing that we're trying to get our kids to understand is that they can be successful without being a professional athlete. And oh, the 100%. thing that we want, to, want them to chase that dream because there's so much you can learn from chasing that dream. But also they got to understand that that thing's going to end at some point in time. And when it ends, oh, absolutely. what do you have to help you be successful? And uh, the reading, reading, writing, and speaking is huge and uh, uh, definitely big. And, of course, education is a big thing that we want to make sure that, that we push because regardless of what you do, you got to learn something. Um, oh, for if sure. If you go to college, i got to learn. If I go to welding school, i got to learn. If I go to plumbing school, i still got to learn. So this is still the education piece is so big. And that goes back to, as you were saying, the reading, writing, and speaking. But we're definitely uh, – Differentiate you from everybody else. The, um, now, so you have three books out. When did, when did the first book come out? Uh, our first book, we published that one in 20, let me get it right, i uh, get in trouble, 2015, uh, spring of 2015. Uh, yep. And then we uh, dropped the second one, Just the Chicken Little. Just the Chicken was the first one. Just the Chicken Little was the uh, second one. We dropped that spring of 20. 18 and so um you know keeping that that kind of theme that kind of cycle as we got better with our skill of writing the books and coming up with the ideas and editing and, and doing all the stuff ourselves because that's the other thing you know we self-publish we do everything ourselves so you know that's the other thing going out into the schools you know we've been over to over 200 schools across south carolina period uh as far as texas and you know we get out invited to do our reading programs with not just high school kids but you know everybody from k through 12 so um, it's been really great, again, to share that story because, again, what does the author look like and really showing kids that's more of a possibility, your chances of really getting good at those things and being the person that writes about LeBron James and actually being LeBron James. And, you know, we always tell the story of, um, you know, when we travel, you know, there's you could really probably only just take, you know, two buses, you know, with the team, you know, but the actual there's a caravan of 10 buses, and that's because there's support staff and there's so many auxiliary things that people can do within sports but I'll actually plan it. Uh, but you got to be really good at those things as if you were a pro player and being a pro. And that's why we always really emphasize go pro, going pro and reading. Right. Yeah. The, uh, one of, uh, and just talking about going pro, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had a, a guy on and he gave a very interesting statistic. He said, if you take out the ten, top 10% of guys in the NFL from a longevity standpoint, so take out your Tom Brady's, take out your kickers, your punters, the ones that have been in there for a lot of years. The average stay for the other 90% is 10 months. <laughs> it keeps getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> yes. And that's if you take out the top 10%. Of course, if you had the 10, you had those guys in, you know, it's what is it, 3.3 years is about the average. But if you take yeah, out the top yeah. 10%, Ten months, just because so many kids don't get to their second contract, and right. it's crazy. And you know what? You know, I was listening to something today. They talk about uh, cutting Tua and bringing another quarterback into Miami. I mean, he's a first round draft pick. What you doing? Right. He, 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 right. He, but, but it's 
I guess it's such a microwave society that everybody wants to win right now versus you taking that, that reading, that writing, that speaking that you're talking about, and that's going to last you for a lifetime and, and help you get in front of some people that, that other people only wish they can get in front of. And, and when you get in front of them, you sound intelligent, you, you've done it before, and it's, and it's uh, an opportunity for you to be successful. So that that is a, a big thing there. Now, tell us a little bit more about the reading program. You're saying your reading program. Tell us a little bit more about that reading program. Yeah, our big thing is, um, you know, in, in person, back when we could see people, um, you know, everywhere we'd, uh, you know, just hit the road every day, that backwood circuit, my partner and myself, and, um, you know, get contracted to go into the schools and go in there and speak, um, you know, pretty much conduct an author visit where we do our kind of dynamic school-wide presentation to the different age groups and then, you know, kind of have a uh, post-game kind of Q&A with the classes and the, and the students, really, you know, having those literacy talks with them, you know, and it's funny because a lot of kids think, of course, we're going to come in there and talk about football, but now the biggest thing we're talking about is reading, writing, and speaking, and, and, and again, how football and a lot of things adjacent to that we can, we can, we can use and correlate, as to use the words of a man who was on before us, so um, it's one of those deals where you know, we tell kids, you know, we're not telling you what to read about. We're not telling you what to write about or speak about. That's your choice. And, and we already know you're super creative when it comes to, you know, technology things. And, and you, you, you're going you to utilize your time doing something anyway. So, you know, to your point of playing football, that's the example we always give. Like, if you've been playing since you were six to you, you know, 16, 18, that's 12 years for free. And you hope to get another four years for free. And you're in there for 16, still at free. And then the hope, again, to be good enough to get that 10 months realistically. And so that's not a really fair exchange, you know what I'm saying? Because, again, not to say don't chase that dream to your point. Um, but, again, you know, be somebody, you know, doc, you know, telling the stories. I don't know. There's there's so much, you know, because we always try to equate, you know, playing sports in, in college is like being a, going, to, going to law school or going to, you know, doctor because the workload is the same. Um, but you got to physically do it, so there's that physical toll. So you can't say you can't do anything. You can do whatever it is you want. It's just you had that carrot of the NFL out there, and, and we all know the NFL stands for not for long, like you talked about. So, I mean, the biggest thing kids got to realize is that, you know, with our and that's what we try to do, just make it a tangible example because, again, we still are kind of big and hefty ourselves, and, you know, we, we, we incorporate some stories of, of football, of course, but, at the end of it, man, it's it's, it's building those skills because you can control those skills just like you can control, um, you know, your attitude and how you approach those things. And that's going to take you a lot further than just hoping you get the luck of the draw of being clowny, but you're not going to be clowny because there's only one clowny, <laughs> you know. So, And that's really what it comes down to. We're just trying to give these kids a realistic kind of example of that. So... You were just sort of going from school to school back when you could go from school to school. So how have you changed with COVID? Are you doing some virtual stuff now, or what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we you know we we transitioned to everything, doing everything virtually because uh, just most even if they are in person, they still have a virtual option. So uh, we've done a whole bunch of you know in person, not in person, but virtual lessons with you know middle schools, elementary schools, working on a lot of asynchronous lesson plans for schools. Uh, because, again, there's a lot of self-paced stuff and stuff where kids have to, you know, for example, like my daughter, they got, you know, they got spring break and they got a week of where they're trying to make up 
of schoolwork for kids because, again, there's so many different, you know, balls they got to juggle in the air with technology and catching folks up. And, you know, it's just a, you know, God bless the teachers. I don't know how they do it, the school system, period. But we know we can't just uh, let this go. So our big thing is making that transition, giving the giving the schools another option to, you know, connect with us virtually. Um, and, and that's been, you know, a godsend because, again, technology is like, you know, we're talking right now on the, on, the, on, the, on the radio, you know, to everybody everywhere. And then it can be replayed, you know, utilizing this technology has just been wonderful for us. Exactly. exactly. And that's, uh, that is definitely something that is, you know, one of the things that, you know, just hearing across the country people talk about they're ready to reopen schools. And my first thought is why you're in such a rush, you know, when we haven't gotten out of the, the the dangerous part of COVID, even though I think we're getting closer now that more and more people are getting vaccinated. But then I Correct. started hearing stories of kids from the mental capacity were struggling, you know, with the virtual school day in and day out. Um, then I also heard of some kids struggling because as soon as mom and dad go to work, kids turn the computer off. So there's a lot of kids that are starting to fall behind um, in this virtual schooling, and there's some kids that the lack of being social is affecting them from a mental aspect. Have you seen any of that? Oh, 100%. I mean, um, you know, uh, (laughs) know, just kids coming on. Why are we in here? You know, different things like, and, that, and that's not just normal, you know, T-Day stuff, but like, you know, the ability with the option of the virtual component to just, you know, chime in, no different than a, a chat room or a video chat or whatever. And there's no like, you know, like, there's no repercussions. Like, even if in person, not to say that you could like, you know, throw something at the kid, shut up, you know what I'm saying? So you couldn't do that, but like, you still get to hide behind that screen. You still get to hide behind your icon or whatever that is. So that allows you, you know, kind of like, you know, to be, to, to, to be, to not have those social skills, that, that, that stuff, you know, you're not supposed to be doing, but who's going to check you to your point? Because again, um, it's really, really tough for, to get engagement and the numbers and to hear the numbers of, you know, the amount of kids that are just kind of like washed out of, you know, public schools, across the country just because of the virtual, not to say, you know, whether they didn't have the virtual or they don't have to show up or parents are working their jobs anyway and trying to make sure that they don't get COVID while doing that. I mean, just so many different things. Um, and it's really, it's really been tough. And definitely that social deal has been one of the biggest components because again, there is, you know, something to seeing somebody in person, you know, looking them in their eyes, but, you know, even with the screen doing it, it there's, there's still a screen, you know what I'm saying? And, that, and that's the biggest thing. And we're, at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all thrive on, on contact, even though these phones kind of help us live in a silo. And they've been really great because we can do so many things again with technology is great. But, you know, as they say, man, you could all, you can use electricity to cook for a man or you can use electricity to cook a man. And so, I mean, making sure we put senses around how much we use technology and never, you know, negate just actual being in the same room with some people, I think that's going to be big, especially as we try to transition a lot of these kids back in. You know, the timing is, is going to be thrown off, like you said, because the numbers and how we had to, kind of had to stop like a year ago. But, I mean, we can 
I think as a society, we can figure out what we want to do, but it's a lot easier said than done. And, and trying to get everybody back on the same kind of time schedule and different things, we just know that normal just won't be normal anymore. So I think that's the biggest thing. We got to have some flexibility with that. I'm going to regress for a second. If we talk about the technology, of course, the last pandemic was in 1918. Um, what did they do in 1918? <laughs> you know, you, didn't, you really didn't have television, dude. Uh, right. What did they do? First of all, how did you know when it was okay to come back out? I mean, it's just that that must have been a very, very different time. And uh, but. Now that we're here and we do have our technology, which I am thankful that we we have the technology that we do have, but I think there's going to be another transition, as you alluded to it, next fall when we try to get these kids back into school because now it's going to be, hey, now I've got to go to school every day. I've got to get up. Um, I've got to go catch the bus. I've got to interact with people on a daily basis. I can't just mm-hmm. get up and go use when I want to. I have to ask. And I guess what are we going to do to help prepare these kids for that transition? Well, prepare these teachers for that transition. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's kind of a long term plan. No different than uh, I think that's a ship you got to kind of turn gradually. That's not like a speedboat because again, we do have a bunch of, and this is I think the one thing that we we all can agree on that the pandemic did across the board is that it accelerated whatever problem was already exacerbating in the situation, whether it be banking, whether it be healthcare, whether it be the educational system. Uh, I mean, look at even sports, you know, college athletics, like they always talked about this paying players deal, but eventually this just sped it up really quickly to, you know, having to deal with it now to the, NILI to the NIIL stuff now with kids with their uh, image and likeness stuff. So, I mean, it's, I think you gotta, you gotta try to, you know, get out there and really redefine what the teaching profession does, um, you know, and really show them, Hey, we know how vital that is because again, you know, the ability to, to not have a place for your kids to go and be educated during the day in the public school system, that's going to be of worth, you know, we saw how valuable that was. I mean, we knew it before. We can kind of say that tongue-in-cheek. But now, I mean, with the pandemic and everything, you're like, you know, because, again, it, it served it – was, it was a perfect kind of, you know, relationship. Not saying the educational system was perfect. There's a lot of things we could always do better. But I just think we got to start with the recruitment, redefining, getting more males in the, into the profession. The biggest thing, like I, I, my, my partner with my books, he, he works for the press and he works within the – the education department at South Carolina with the teacher retainment and recruitment, especially of male teachers, black male teachers, but again, getting an eclectic mix in there, um, you know, chain, because again, we got to have a, a representation of what society looks like, you know, and again, I think that's one of the biggest things is not to take away from anything from women being dominated in, in the teaching profession. Cause my mother was a teacher. I married a teacher. Um, Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just been one of those things we, we can't have enough in those because, again, we all just know we need plenty of examples of what, you know, an educated male looks like and all these different things because, again, the social stuff, uh, because we always remember that one strong coach or that one strong teacher that, you know, 
and and it's crazy because it might not even come to like middle school or high school until you start having those thoughts about those teachers and, and having those representations. So, um, you know, to answer your question about, you know, getting kids back into the fold, getting them back into the mix, I think athletics is going to be <laughs> important, you know, giving kids something to always kind of work out that aggression, work out that type of stuff. But how do you get the kids who are already, you know, just kind of internet, you know, gamer kids anyway? Um, that's tough. I think that's that's really, really tough because I think that's the other thing. It, it kind of showed that, you know, traditional school, because there's other places around the world that have different concepts of school, you know, ice school, school outside in the snow, all type of crazy stuff. Um that these kids can say, man, why why do I have to now go to school in person? If I'm, you know, I'm, I'm already socially, I got ADD already, so why don't I need to go to, why do I need to go to school and, and you know, try to work through that? Or why do you force me to do that? You know what I'm saying? And and that's kind of the, I think the thing, the other thing that the COVID situation did uh, with that instance. So it's going to be a tough, tough battle, man, but <laughs> I definitely don't uh, envy the new education secretary or any of the teachers, man, that we just try to support for sure. Now, I'm going to go back to a, a, a question that, you, that came to my mind as you were talking there and talk about the paying the players for their image or likeness. Um, so you've played, uh, you've been around the players. Um, what is your thought on that? Um. My thought on it is real simple. Um, we, I definitely think the kids should be paid. You know, I'm always pro labor because again, I'm always erring on the side of I've been labor more than I've been anything that I own. Even these little books and words I got right now that are big books and words to me. So, um, I think it's a real simple solve in my opinion because they had this thing in the NFL called a player pool, and a player pool basically said we know that the NFL is more comprised of the Langston Moors, the free agents of the world who played the three to four years and overreached that 10 months. And so we got to figure out a way to get those other, you know, 20, you know, maybe 15 guys on the, on the starting roster every Sunday compared to the Carson Palmers and everybody else who, who fills up the first round picks. And so, you know, the lower your draft grade or the lower you're drafted or free agent, you know, you start off with a baseline and every play you play, you get a percentage. And I think it's a really simple deal for kids coming in where, you know, baseline, you come in, you get X amount a year. You will get, say, whatever it is, 5000 a month, uh, 5000 a month times nine months. And if you play an X a certain amount, it's prorated ter- towards that. Make it really based on academics. Make it really based on you got to get a certain amount of credits to have access to this money up front. The rest is put onto the back end. That kind of incentivize you to – to kind of, you know, be a money manager, figure out the because that's the other thing we always hear across the board is, you know, first-time money, I want to make money, what do I do with the money? We always tell the kids, even if you're going to school and graduating without debt, you're winning. So, you you know, for to not realize that, how advantageous you are to, you know, to graduate with zero debt and a degree and have the network, um, you know, that's real ahead. So that's what we kind of, you know, think about putting in all those different pieces with the financial part. Um, so, you know, that, that takes care of your walk-ons that takes care of your, 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 you know, cause everybody will, I'm a five-star and I need to get paid more than that. Um, I think, because again, it can get real tricky. I think in my opinion with the image and likeness stuff, because I mean, I just don't know how you, you know, if, if Langston Moore, if there's a, if there's a, a, a big wig from Charleston, South Carolina that says, man, I just really love Langston, man. I want to pay him a million bucks. 
you know, just to tweet out my stuff every Sunday after the, the Gamecocks win, lose, draw, whatever. Um, and not to say that there's going to be, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, lengths and more instances, but I just also think geographically, like, if you're Northwestern versus Iowa, like, you're per capita, Northwestern's going to have more businesses. You're in Chicago, you got more stuff versus, you know, you go to Iowa, you know, there's not a whole bunch of local businesses for the third or fourth string defensive tackle or even for the fourth or fifth starting defensive tackle. So, um, you know, I, I just think it's going to get real hairy, and it's, it's the wild, wild west, man. I think they're trying to, you know, kind of build this thing as they fly in it. But, again, this goes back to the pandemic. I think it kind of, like, sped up something that, that we we kind of knew was bubbling but, you know, wasn't forced to look at until now. It's just like, you know, we see the power, again, the social media, you know, the kind of disrupt of everything that was, quote, unquote, normal for us. And see, something like that I, I'm I'm more apt to, to go along with than just, as you said, just the image and likeness. Because the image and likeness there, the rich will get richer and the poor will get poor. Um, Absolutely. I promise you, Alabama got a lot got, – they, they got some people there that's going to pay a lot more money than the Citadel. <laughs> Not saying that you kids, but, but guess what? I might give this kid right here some money to walk on. And he can go be a starter over here, but so I think that mm-hmm. if you do that from a percentage standpoint. Now it's based on my playing time. What have I done specifically? And it doesn't matter if I'm a scholarship right. player or not. I like that idea. I like that idea. The, uh, I don't know. And, if and again, I, I, and again, I think, and I, I think if you, I mean, it can go up and down. You know, one year you have your, you get hurt, you have a rest year, but you still have like a baseline of money. That again is a, is not a crazy amount, but again we know what a Pell Grant will do for a kid in two semesters, right? And so just imagine, you know, that five thousand, you know, for those. And again, you get we know some of these kids. We all need this money. We've all heard the stories of you know the reason those dorms so nice because again a lot of the families got to stay there. You know, the whole family got to stay there because again it's, a, it's such a deal to get everybody up there. I mean, it's just one of those deals and, and, you know, the difference between perception and reality with a lot of these kids is, as you know, I mean, it's to see all the people and the money go hand in hand. And it's like, Oh man, it just don't really feel like an equal exchange. Exactly. Exactly. So that's good. That is good. Well, hey, last thing before we go, um, if you could just give a word of advice uh, to our young people as, as they aspire to be uh, a collegiate athlete, professional athlete. Um, the the kind of same thing I tell uh, everybody, whatever it is you want to do, man, you ultimately going to be are what you eat. And I love acronyms, you know what I'm saying? The NFL stands for not for long, NFL, no fun league, all that stuff. But E stands for your effort, your attitude, and your thoughts. And whatever you put in your effort, However your attitude is, an approach to that thing, whatever it is you want, whether it be, you know, going pro, getting a, getting a college scholarship, you know, saving money, making money, getting your YouTube views up, whatever it is you want to do, then it comes into, you know, how you think about those things. Because, again, I mean, I just know the, the most times I've been successful in my life, you know, I'm thinking about the things that where I want to go and, and what it's going to take me to get there and those choices. Like Nick Saban says, you know, if you really – you know, want to be something or be great at anything is going to just take what it's going to take. So a lot of times that means eliminate things. Um, a lot of times, you know, we like to say, 
think about all the things we got to say no to, but the more you say no to something, the stronger you get, but the more you say yes to what you really want. And so the other thing we always talk about is this idea of when, what's important now. And the more you figure out what it is you want your win to be like, man, you, you figure out your win, you figure it out, you ask yourself what's important now a hundred times a day, you're going to get there. So eating and winning, man, that's that's the big thing I try to hit the kids with. Gotcha. That's great, man. That's great. Well, hey, man, I appreciate it. And uh, definitely sometime we, we'll figure it out. But June 26th, put it on your calendar. If you can get down, I'd love to have you come down and, and be one of our assistant coaches in our camp this summer. Um, but uh, put that date on your own. I'll definitely be in contact with you. All right? Absolutely, man. I appreciate you reaching out to me. I'll tell Landon I talked to you. You got to get big Landon on here. Oh, definitely, I will. I will. I've uh, reached out to him. I just got to finalize a date with him, so we'll definitely get him. We'll definitely get, get pressure him. pressure on him. It was, it was great to talk yeah. to you, Coach. I appreciate y'all. All right, hey, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. If this world were mine, all cats would be 27 feet long. With a diamond in the Foundation Sports Talk Show. See, Vince, I got my next guest on, Mr. Vince Hill. See, Vince, you don't remember that that music right there, man. That right there got me wanting to do a little popping and locking. You don't know anything about that. Coach, me and you going to battle one day. I can pop and lock with the best of them. 
Hey, I'm going to have my cardboard box there and hit that little windmill on you. You ain't going to know what to do. Oh, no, I'm going to be stuck then. I'm, I'm going to start getting the uh, – I'll get the package and start collecting some money, pass it around. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, uh, Vince, we're definitely glad to have you on. Um, uh, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your about your background. I mean, you, you play for me at the Citadel, so we'll start there. What you've been doing since you finished up at the Citadel? Yeah, definitely. So I uh, graduated from the Citadel 2007, uh, full athletic scholarship playing football, uh, four-year letterman at the quarterback position, so a defensive guy. Uh, since I left the Citadel, it's been a combination of a few things, uh, real estate investing, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, and also working at a Fortune 500 company. Uh, so when I met my wife in 2009, we started our uh, real estate venture uh, with her father. So in Charleston, we started to buy, sell, fix, flip, and also new construction uh, real estate projects all over the city, um, rental uh, properties as well. So uh, we, we've been very much uh, engulfed in, in that scene uh, in Charleston and uh it's a very good scene right now, right? The inventory is low on properties, and, and the property value is sky high. Uh, in 2012, I took my talents to Centos, um, a uniform and facility service representative in the Charleston and Columbia markets. Uh, so essentially, at Centos, the model is we get our customers ready for the workday. So that's all of the essential products that you need as far as consumable goods, toilet paper, paper towels, hand soap, uh, sanitizing solutions, hand sanitizers, wipes, uh, and also uh, uh, employee uh, image apparel programs as well. So we have exclusive partnerships with Carhartt, North Face, uh, just to name a few. Um, but all of our uh, uniform options are retail inspired to, uh, you know, and boost employee morale and also uh, enhance the image of, of your company. Uh, in 2016, I left Centos for, for a few years and started a joint venture with my partner, uh, and uh, we started Office Clean Janitorial Services. Uh, so it's a commercial janitorial service based in Charleston, uh, but we do travel across the southeast. We have accounts uh, all over uh, the Carolinas, north and south, as well as Georgia. Uh, started that company in 2016 from conception, grew it to 1.1 in revenue in just 12 months. Uh, some of our biggest customers, Pulte Homes Group, uh, Mercedes-Benz Vans, Huber Manufacturing, uh, the Napai Company, just to name a few. And uh, we took the industry by storm in Charleston. Uh, we had something very unique and different from a lot of our competitors in that we had our customers sign, you know, essentially longer-term contracts with us. Most commercial janitorial services is 60 days, you're out. Uh, we were signing our customers up with a minimum 36 uh, to 60 month contract. Uh, so that was a uniqueness uh, uh, and also a service and a quality guarantee that we also provided our customers with. Um, in 2019, I sold out the majority of my equity stake. Uh, we took Centa, uh, we took, excuse me, we took office clean in a different direction more of a franchise model. So we sold off the contracts to uh, subcontractors, uh, which allowed us to reduce our overhead and also uh, um, uh, allow our subcontractors, our franchisees, to take more ownership of the account. Um, we were running 75 employees uh, at the peak of uh, 2018. 
uh, shifting that model was, was very beneficial to, to the company, the organization, as well as to our uh, our partners. Uh, in 2019, when I, when I uh, sold off majority of my equity stake, uh, an opportunity presented itself for me to return to CentOS. Uh, I always loved uh, what I did at CentOS. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, and I took my talents to the Columbia area. Uh, so I've been with CentOS back since 2019, and I am rocking and rolling. The um, so real estate wise, you still doing the real estate? Oh yeah, yes. The real estate is a part of me now, Coach. Uh, and you know the funny thing about that, it, it, it all came off the back of you in '07 uh, when you and Coach uh, Coach Drayton, uh, Victoria Avenue. You probably don't even remember this property, 5120 Victoria Ave. <laughs> oh yeah. And, uh, it was, that was uh, the first time yeah. I found out. Say that again, Coach. You said Jamel stayed with you there, too? <laughs> I can't hear you. I, I can't hear that last part. I was saying, was Jamel in there with you, too? Yes, Jamel was in there. Uh, who else was in there? Uh, uh, Josh Lawson, uh, Earl Whitmore. Yep. <laughs> yep. A nice little group. Okay. <laughs> yep. But uh, ahead, you were my first introduction to, and that that was uh, that was when I realized that there is some real good money to be made in real estate, and um, I always kept that in the back of my mind. And me and my wife we ran with it in two thousand nine. Nice. The and here's the thing with real estate in Charleston. Um, when I came back the second time to coach at Citadel. Uh, we bought a house in West Ashley. The exact same house, same builder, same floor plan, exactly same house in Columbia, South Carolina, was $100,000 cheaper than the one I bought in West Ashley. Sounds right. Location, location, location. Uh, location, everything. Yeah, extremely important. And regardless of where you are in Charleston, it's going to be expensive. And uh, yeah, if you get over to it's crazy. Uh, Mount Pleasant, it's real so now, now what part of Charleston do you have a lot of your real estate or is it all around? Yeah, so it's all around, but the bulk of what we have right now is in North Charleston and Somerville. Um actually breaking ground on a new construction project in Somerville this summer. So hoping to see what happens with these lumber prices. Hopefully they come down from uh, uh, the, the high of 133% over <laughs> year-to-date what it was in 2018. Um, you know, so but we are still going to build because people are still buying. Right, right, right. Now, um, so you're saying you're doing a little bit of everything. So you're Fixing and flipping, your building. Um, do you have any rentals as well, or you just fix, flip, and build? Yeah, so we've kind of steered away from the rentals uh, as of late. Uh, we were finding that the fix and flips and the new construction builds are, you know, more profitable, A, and it's a quicker turnaround. Um, you know, I like to buy a whole strategy. Uh, it's a great, you know, hedge on retirement. Uh, but for where we are and what the market's doing in Charleston right now, 
Okay, let's go ahead and put the money in the pot. Let's uh, let's get in and get out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The uh, now, of course, I still have you know some people that are real estate agents down there, and probably about a year ago, she told me that there's like so many. I think I want to say it was like ten, fifteen. People moving to Charleston a day, something crazy like that. So Charleston is just busting from the seams, and it seems like it's starting to go further and further out. Are you seeing that? Yeah, Coach. Charleston is busting from the from the seams. Uh, that is a very true statement. Um, right now in Charleston, you have about a thirty day supply of homes for sale. Um, that's Historically, that's not common uh, to have such a low inventory of property. So, you know, take it into consideration that if your house goes on the market, you're probably getting an offer within the first five days. <laughs> and you're wow. closing at 45 from when you list. Uh, just because inventory is low and demand cannot uh, uh, keep up with construction. Well, construction cannot keep up with demand. Um, so, no, it, it's it's something like 35 people moving to Charleston a day at this point. So what you're telling me is I need to get back into Charleston real estate. You should probably get back into Charleston real estate, Coach. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and look at that. I'm going to have to look at it hard. Hey, going to hit up Mo Drayton. We got to go in and get the LLC back rolling again. And uh right. and, and that, get, get some of that NFL money you guys have. <laughs> yeah. He's got the NFL money now. But uh but but again, you know, our L L C was called Core Squad. I don't know if you remember that. But oh, uh, I know Core, core Squad. squad. <laughs> and start core Squad the uh, day I die the day I die. No doubt. Now let me ask this because I've never the fix and flip familiar with. Um, I've done some pre-construction, uh, but that was more you know on the beach uh, in condos and things like that. But the building side of things, now, are you subcontracting everything out, or are you just pre-construction, or or how is that set up? Yeah, so uh, my wife, uh, her father is a licensed general contractor. So um, Sam, Sam Basconcilio, he's 32 years Navy, command master chief. When he retired, he said, you know what, I'm going to get my real estate. I'm going to become a general contractor. And um, Mm -hmm. so essentially he was our GC uh, on all of our projects, but, me and my wife pretty much, you know, used him as a consultant, and we ran all of the paperwork ourselves. So, you know, from clearing to foundation to framing to rough ends, uh, we pretty much managed those projects uh, with, you know, uh, our GC consultant, which is in-house. <laughs> so um, we pretty much have a whole group uh, around that, that really allows us to, to leverage our resources and, and keep our overhead down. So when you say building, you talk about from the clearing, the buying the land, clearing the land, the framework, everything. I mean, you you are uh, you're pretty much subcontracting all of that out. 
we subcontract it out. We do it ourselves. Uh, you know, it's been quite a, uh, you know, last, what was 2019, me and my father-in-law, we built his house ourselves, just me and him. Um, and, yeah, you know, it's pretty much, you know, once you understand the licensing and you understand, you know, what the codes are through the IRC, which is the International Residential Code uh, Booklet, um, and, you, know, it, you can pretty much navigate it. Uh, and most homeowners, uh, you can pull construction permits every year. You can pull one permit per year uh, as, a, as, as a homeowner. So you don't necessarily have to go out and get the general contractors and things of that nature. You would want to because of the code requirements and, and, and passing those inspections along the way. But as a, as a property owner, you can pull permits and you can build uh, uh, yourself if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't know if you remember the Cosby show, but I'm Cliff Huxley. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Love it. If I do it myself, I'm going to be paying somebody else to fix what I messed up. So <laughs> I'd rather go pay somebody else to begin with versus have them fix what I done messed up. So, right. Um, but, but as with anything, if you do it enough, then you'll get better with it. And that's the way it is, Coach. I've messed up so many uh, things around the house, uh, and it's, Man, it's going on almost 11 years of us doing this, 12 years. Uh, but like you said, it's just practice, repetition. Uh, the more you're in the trenches doing it, the, the, the savvier you get with it and understanding, you know, what you can, you know, play with. Because there's no such thing as a perfect house, right? Um, <laughs> we just have to make it look perfect before the homeowner takes it. <laughs> now, shifting gears just a little bit. So you were, you left CentOS, um, you started your own janitorial service, um, and then, now first of all, you you made a, a over a million dollars in, in less than a year. So what over two million. did you do that? Over two million. Okay, so what did you do to make that happen? Told you, it was a lot of cold calling. It was a lot of getting out of my car, knocking on these businesses' doors and seeing if we could be a value add for them, uh, picking up the phone, making dials uh, to different businesses uh, in the Charleston area, um, just old-fashioned, just up and down the street prospecting uh, was really how we did it. Um, I was also able to leverage a lot of my relationships at CentOS uh, because primarily that was the reason why editorial looked so promising to me was during my time at CentOS, uh, the first uh, customers and prospects were always asked, hey, do you guys clean? It's like, no, we don't clean. We just provide everything you need to clean. <laughs> so I uh, was being asked that question quite a few times. And I had two of my clients uh, at the time. They had just started a, uh, a car dealership out in Hollywood. And we sat down for lunch one day, and these gentlemen, they said, hey, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, think about what CentOS is doing, how you could do it better. And it just clicked for me one day, and I was like, janitorial. They're not doing it. They're not doing janitorial. They provide everything to clean, but they're not actually doing the clean. So I was able to piggyback off of that, Coach. So it really helped me hit the ground running 
uh, leveraging those relationships and networks, uh, as well as just going up and down the street uh, like I'm accustomed to. So, so then you you built a you built a business, a multi-million dollar business. Um, then you sort of franchise it out to the people that's working for you, which is a win-win for everybody. It seems like because now they own their own business. Um, which of course, when it's yours, you take a little more pride in it, and and you know that hey, I got to make sure I do right by it because it's mine and my name is on it. Um, but it's also a franchise for you all, so you got some residual income coming in there, right? Correct. Yeah, so it, it really worked twofold, and it helped us control our operating costs because what I find is that, especially in most industries, that once you reach a certain revenue dollar annually, um, you can actually start to lose business when you take on more business or you have to take on more of a, of a volume proposition where it's not so much one contract that you're leveraging, but it's a bunch of contracts because you're spreading the operating costs out over a lot of different uh, uh, contracts. So what we found was that, hey, to keep our operating costs down and to also give more ownership to uh, our subcontractors, let's just 1099 them out. You know, let's let's take a lot of this payroll tax off of us. Let's take a lot of this employee tax. Let's take a lot of the HR headaches off of ourselves and put more of that ownership into our partners who are actually maintaining those customer relationships. Um, it's been very lucrative uh, because what it also allowed us to do is piggyback into white labeling a lot of our products. Uh, which is another revenue stream that that, uh, that office clean is looking to take off uh, come 2022, where now we are building a relationship, getting the contract, but obviously as a 1099, we can't supply you what you need, so you still have to buy those products from us to maintain those contracts, and also our customer base as well. You know they need those disinfecting products to maintain clean clean and healthy uh, environments for their employees and, and clients alike, it allows us the opportunity to have another upsell product. So, um, you know, subcontracting it out, 1099, creating a franchise model, it, it was a fantastic play for what for what we're doing right now in the Charleston market. Mm-hmm. And you also get a chance to turn around and sell them what they need. So you you got to... It's definitely a win-win. Definitely. It's a win-win. Um, you know, it allows us to just manage the accounts being, you know, accounts receivable. Uh, um, if the account is not being maintained by our partners, our, our subcontractors, then they lose that account. It's in their contract. If you're not taking care of your customer, you lose your account. Um, so from a management standpoint, it just really streamlined things for us and allowed us to reduce a lot of our operating costs. Good. And of course, as, as you can get rid of some of your operating costs, that means your profits increase, which is Profit what we're trying increase. to increase. More time with loved ones, families, and friends, <laughs> because all roads no longer lead to Rome. <laughs> exactly. So, all right, so now you're back with CentOS. 
um, you're still doing your real estate. You still have your janitorial service. But I, I would imagine that the janitorial service in the real estate is more hands-off now. Correct. Yeah, janitorial is more hands-off. I, I typically, I sold out the majority of my equity stake. Um, so I, I only get involved when we start having more contractual uh, uh, conversations with our with our clients, uh, with our attorneys, um, you know, accounts receivable, account payable type of situations. Uh, but actually being in the weeds of it, uh, I leave that to my business partner who is really the operating manager uh, at this point. He did stay on and, you know, uh, help run the uh, Charleston franchise. So, um Really good situation for me because, you know, <laughs> we had a come to Jesus moment. Uh, I think, man, we had, whew, I can't remember how many accounts it was, but uh, we had lost a great deal of our workforce. And uh, it was just me and my, my business partner there to maintain almost uh, $2 million worth of business uh, for about a three-month period. Um, and that, that really also encouraged us to shift our model. Um, because, you know, in janitorial, you know, some people look at it as gig work, uh, or, you know, if another gig comes around, let's say during the holidays, paying $15, $20 an hour, people are going to jump ship and they're going to get that gig work. Uh, so we found that out the hard way, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but we got smarter, we got smarter and, and, you know, what we tell our clients and also, and how we maintain our, uh, working relationships with, with the partners uh, on, on the ground. Good, good. Well, as always, man, it seems like we ain't been on here but about five minutes, but our time's coming to an end. But uh, do this for me. There's a lot of young people um, that, as I was talking to them in a recruiting standpoint, uh, they're like, I want to own my own business. It's like, what do you want to major in? It's one of the things that we often talk to kids about. And a lot of kids say business. Well, what do you want to do with that? I want to own my own business. What kind of business? I don't know. I just want to own my own business. So for a young person that has aspirations to own their own business, what piece of advice would you give to them? Yeah, definitely. Uh, if, a, if a young person wants to own their own business and they don't really know what direction they want to move in and what type of business they want, I would recommend them, uh, you know, do some research. Uh, reach out to a CPA. You know, reach out to an accountant. Reach out to a lawyer. Uh, just ask them general questions about, you know, different industries that they work with uh, because every good business needs a good CPA. Uh, so I, I find it very beneficial. Start there. Uh, a lawyer. Every good business is going to need a lawyer. Uh, start there. Uh, you know, do a lot of that preliminary research up front uh, to help you figure out what is the best uh, uh, business for you to take on. Uh, if you don't know what type of business, look at franchise models. Uh, I love franchise models because they're proven. And you also have the backing of a corporation that's not going to allow you to fail. Um, so, you know, if you want to have your own and you want to have that sense of, of, of you know, this is mine and, and uh, um, all roads and, and, and everything that happens in this business is a result of my efforts, um, you know, really look at, really look at a franchise model uh, because, you know, 
right now you can buy into franchises for $10,000, and they also have different programs uh, to incentivize, especially minorities, uh, uh, to come into franchise ownership. You know, for example, I was just propositioned with Athletes Foot uh, um, a couple weeks ago where they're trying to diversify their franchise ownership, um, and they're giving discounts to minorities who want to buy into that franchise. So, uh, you know, just do the research on the front end. And if you don't know where to start, get start with a CPA. Trust me, a CPA will tell you if it's a profitable business or not. <laughs> Definitely. Well, good, man. Well, hey, well, we do appreciate it, man. Thank you very much for joining us. And sometime we definitely want to get you back on again because uh, you gave a lot of good information. And June 26th, put it on your calendar. Um, that's when we're having our camp this year. We'd love to have you come on down and be one of our uh, our assistant coaches. Coach, I would, I would love to be a coach, and I got two campers right now. When can I sign them up? We're not going to actually open up. Uh, registration said May 1st, but I'll let you know. Uh, we'll definitely make sure Thank that you, you know. And All right. Well, hey, we're going to take a it. quick break. We look forward to having you. But we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few minutes.
How's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back, and I have a young man with me, Mr. Terrence Moore. Terrence, how's everything going? Man, everything is going great. How's it going, Everett? Everything's going well. Everything's going well. Now, the word on the street is there's a heat wave in your neck of the country. Man, it is a blistering 50 degrees outside right now in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's it's shorts and shirt weather. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a nice seventy two here in South Carolina. So All right, man, you tell me that. that. I, I don't want to hear I don't want to hear too much of your problems at seventy degrees. <laughs> um, now India is coming in play. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and if you don't mind, just start off giving us a little bit about your background. Well, um, I was born and raised in Hollywood, South Carolina, right outside of Charleston. So um, I'm definitely a Southern guy. Um, went to school um, at in the country at E.B. Ellington Elementary School. Graduated from Bishop England High School. Then continued my um, with uh, associates in applied psychology from Trident Tech. After that, I ended up having a child. Got and then got married to my best friend, um, Cheryl, and we end up getting married, and we end up having two young, two young men at this point. They're, um, they're, they've been the, definitely the heart uh, of us, and uh, after that, you know, we basically had them here in Milwaukee. We moved to Milwaukee um, right around 1994 um, had our, uh, with our first child. First, our son was born in Charleston. We moved up, moved up here after that, shortly after that, and then our second um, son, um, Terrence Jr., was born here. So Joshua Robert and um, Terrence Jr. Then my my first child was uh, Katasha Fraser, who's in Charleston right now. Then I, uh, after I got up here, moved, finished up my uh, education at University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, got a back uh, BA in economics, and after that, just been really hitting it, uh, hitting it hard with I love entrepreneurship, love teaching. Uh, so my background ends up being financial education, business education, adult education, taught middle and high school, math, was in real estate sales and investments, founded a church 12 years ago uh, with my wife in 2008. Uh, now I have two companies, one focusing on um, finance and business literacy. The other one is, as you may be somewhat familiar with, with selling pro- uh, professional protection equipment. And I also uh, continue to pastor the church, and I also am a business development coordinator for the Hmong Wisconsin Chamber of Commerce. So, and I do that, um, and I fund a lot of the uh, small businesses, and particularly minority businesses. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, now, one of the things that you talked about, which I am huge on, is financial education, financial literacy. Yeah. Um, from your standpoint, what are some of the key points um, that your layman, your your everyday person, need to make sure that they understand about financial literacy and financial education? You know, the the, the crazy thing is, financial education is one of the key things that everyone needs to know, but everybody doesn't know it. And a lot of it has to do with really understanding how do you manage your money? What does money really mean? 
And a lot of times minority communities, in particular the black community, we have been very lax in understanding financial literacy because we were never taught. It was never taught in school. A lot of times our parents didn't know about financial, you know, the fullness of what it really means to um, have financial literacy or be literate in finance. Um, you know, it's basically sometimes check to check. Um, basically, hey, I have debt. I have income. That's all I know. But the reality of financial literacy is really understanding what money does. How do you, you know, how does debt work? How does credit work? How do you manage the money? How do you spend it? How do you invest it? Um, understanding taxes, you know, you know, how does tax relate to your income? Um, if you want to own um, real estate, as uh, Vince was talking about, uh, and, you know, how do you, how do you purchase and uh, buy investment property? You know, what does that all mean? That has a lot to relate to your, with your financial, um, you know, financial well-being, as we would say. The bad part about, again, the other part about it is that many people learn on the fly. They learn from <laughs> bad mistakes, the foreclosures car repossession, uh, debt way in over their head because they just they don't understand the system. And when you don't understand the system, you become a slave to the system. Um, and when you have schools that have eliminated financial literacy or didn't even put financial literacy in, in place, basically we're teaching our students how to really be a slave to a financial system that they don't even know that they're a slave to because of lack of knowledge. And as you you know, you've been in this industry as, as it relates to sports. A lot of times the NFL players get these big contracts, and about a year or two later they're broke because they never understood financial literacy. No one ever sat down and talked to them about it. They, you know, they, they just basically spent money or used money based off of what they learned. And you can't blame them because they were never taught, and no one actually ever sat down and told them what they need to do uh, but you have people that, you know, uh, take advantage of people who are ignorant. And a lot of times, because we're ignorant or we just don't know, many of us get taken advantage of a system that really is supposed to prosper us. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what are, what are, what are some of the, you know, we, we're talking about learning the system. <clears throat> mm-hmm. How credit works, and, and one of the right. things that I know is the worse your credit score, the more it's going to cost you to get money. Exactly. Uh, it's buying a car, buying a house, you know, things like, like here's here's one for example to me that doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense is people will go rent a microwave for thirty five dollars a week. Mm-hmm. And they can buy a new one for less than a hundred dollars. Yep. So it's kind of I'm renting this thirty five dollars a week. By the time you finish paying for it that way, you've been paid six seven hundred dollars for it. You could have bought it a couple months ago. And, but, um, and, see, and, 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 and see, that's the crazy that's the crazy thing is that just using it, just using what your example of renting a microwave, renting a microwave. If you have, if you or maybe, maybe, if you or maybe your family has never owned anything, you don't understand ownership. If you have always, if a lot of times your life has been renting or been around those who have been renting but not necessarily owning, you don't really understand what ownership really means or what's the, the benefits of ownership. 
like you you just and then the aspect of you understand you know money it's like hey it's better if i own this microwave at this price which is a lower rate versus renting it and in our minds we would think well i'm only paying i'm only paying 35 dollars but then if you start adding everything up you as you stated you might be paying 250 dollars for a hundred dollar microwave but that's the way the system is set up it is set up based on people not knowing giving them the perception that they're getting a good deal so that they do not understand that they're not getting a good deal. Because once you really understand that you have, you're being had, you're going to, you're going to be upset. You're going to wait a minute. I just paid an extra $150 for the same microwave. I could have saved, you know, for two paychecks or three paychecks and own it now, you know, but I'm paying a lower price, you know, theoretically I'm paying lower because it's small payments, but long-term, I basically double. I bought two microwaves for the same amount of money, but it, a lot of that is on our understanding of money, our understanding of the financial system, us understanding the benefits of of ownership. You know what does that you know what does that really mean? What does that take? But when you're not taught it, you're just you really just you know literally you just don't know. You're thinking, hey, I have a good you know I have a good deal, but then when it's time to buy a house. You know, and you don't own anything, <laughs> then that's another problem. Exactly, exactly. Well, let's talk about uh, talk about buying a house. All right. Um, now, one of the things I, I, I Trump sort of took one of the benefits of owning away because we don't get that tax write off anymore. Um, right. But let's talk about. Um, from your perspective, I, I miss you a little bit. Say again. And the benefits of renting a house uh-huh. versus owning. Um, okay, let's talk about the, that. Okay, the the I would say the benefits of ownership, of course, is the fact that after a while, um, after you make um, your mortgage payments, there's an end period. At some point, you actually outright own the home that you're in. Um, the only thing that you may, you may have to pay, uh, you pay on is depending on where you are, you have to pay property taxes, uh, depending on what that is. So at some point you can own that home and you can pass on that home to your children, a relative. You can donate it to a nonprofit organization. So you actually have um, ownership of of that particular home, of that particular property. If and and then versus if you're renting a place. You could say the benefits of renting is, okay, I may be paying a premium property, but if something breaks down, I don't have to go to find um, – I don't have to go and get a, a new water heater. I don't have to get a new air conditioning unit. I All I have to do is call the landlord and say the air conditioning unit is broken. I need for you to come fix it. So a lot of those costs um, is basically – you're paying a premium for not owning. So – Somebody else takes care of the problem that that you that you have, but if you own your prop, if you own your home, you have to make the phone calls of you know finding the AC unit, get the quotes, and all those things. So there's a plus and a minus to both of them. But under renting, you will never own the property that you're in, and you can be there for 20 years 
30 years, never own it, but the same 20 or 30 years, you could have used that same money to own a property. So you really have to look at where you are in your life to say, what is better for me um, to do? Is it you know better to own or is it better to rent? But I definitely would tell people, definitely go, you know, go the home ownership route, but do your homework. Do the homework of what it means to maintain a home upgrade or, you know, a, a deal with these things because that's going to be very important because the property that you have, you want it to remain in good condition because you may want to sell it to upgrade to a larger home or you just want to, again, you know, pass it on or whatever the case is, but you want to make sure that it's in real good condition. Now, and that creates general, that, generational wealth. Yep. One of the things that I think about is you talk about uh, getting things fixed. It's just getting the 210 mm-hmm. warranty. Which costs exactly, yeah. Depending on your house is seventy five to a hundred dollars a month. But if something mm-hmm. breaks, all I do is call them and they come fix it. It, um, it, it. Even with that, you have to find the right warranty because there's so many warranties out here that looks good, but people have to read the fine print. You know, you they don't even know. Oh, I have to spend two or three hundred dollars before it actually kicks in. So a lot, you know, that's one of the key things of making sure you read the fine print to see if this is really a good warranty or not. Right, right. So that's yeah, a good point. That's true. That's true. That is true. But uh, I, I agree with you, which, you know, on, on one hand, I wish I would have thought about buying something when I first got out of college. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that, that is so true, God's not making any more land. That's true. Uh, so, I bought something then, even though it was small, but about the same thing you're paying in rent, you win it. Right. Because I can sell it, make some money, because most of the time your home is going to appreciate. That's another thing with home ownership. A lot of times that home is going to appreciate. That appreciation. Yeah, but and and, and then if you're renting. If you're renting from somebody, the home is appreciating, but you don't get the benefit. <laughs> so you might as well own. That's true. That's very true. You know, very what? True. When I, it's, it's crazy that you said it about the uh, purchasing um, out of college. I just had a conversation with my oldest son um, yesterday. We were, you know, talking about finances and we're giving him a scenario. Hey, when you get to a point, um, you know, sometimes people want to just go ahead and buy their own, you know, whether it's a single family home. I told him, Hey, make your let your first home purchase be a duplex. You know, you're mm-hmm. you stay in one of the units and somebody else stay in another unit and the other unit, and that other tenant will basically pay a great portion of your mortgage, if not more. So while they're helping you pay your mortgage, you're they're helping you own the property and whatever expenses that you you have with you know when you're working. Your working income could, if you know, address them. If something happens or goes wrong with the property, you could actually, you know, use that money to um, fix those things. And those expenses to the and, um, the rental part of it becomes a tax benefit. So while somebody's helping you paying off your mortgage, you get a tax benefit. And while you're living in a home that you will ev- uh, living in the property that you will eventually own. So I, you know, I if someone were to get their first property, I say, hey, get a duplex. If you um, when you want to get to a single family home, hey, you rent the pl- that that portion where you used to live, rent it to somebody else. That money pays for that unit and part of your new home. 
or use or use a rental or use a rental property to leverage to get get to your um, to get your home. So there's a lot of ways that you can do it when you um, own property. Yep, that is true. That is true. Because one of the things I, I said to myself, wherever, because you know, a lot of times in coaching, I'll go somewhere, um, and the family would come out. The school gets out. So my thought was, mm-hmm. hey, I just go duplex. Yep. I'll buy me a duplex. Give me a tenant on the other side. I live on one side, and then when the family gets here, we get our house. I rent that side out, and now it's paying for itself. Exactly. Plus some. Exactly. But we weren't taught that. We weren't taught right. that. We weren't taught the long game while we were in school. We weren't taught that. We found that out after we became adults, or we learned the hard way. If this stuff was taught in school, Everett, can you imagine how many of our kids right now, especially in the black community, minority community, how far ahead we would be? The fact that, hey, I want to I change my mindset from, um, you know, I'm always trying to rent, or I want to change my mindset that, yes, um, I, I do want to work for a company, but eventually I want to own my own business. And I, I heard you talk to Vince about that before about, you know, somebody who wants to own their own business. But you can't own your own business until you understand financial literacy, until you understand how money works. If you don't understand how – if you can't handle your own personal business, which is you are the original business, how are you going to run another business? And people think, I just want to start start my own business. Well, one of the key things that has caused many – Minority businesses to fail is they don't understand the business of business. They don't have business literacy. They don't. Have, if you can't, if you you can't get business literacy, if you don't have financial literacy. So a lot of these people that sometimes okay, I want to start a business, but how are you running your life? How are you running the finances? How are 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 you teachable? Can you teach? You know, how are you going to present yourself? How are you going to explain the numbers to investors? Um, you know, how, you know, all those things are, are necessary, and we find that our community, and that are, you know, again, sometimes on the short end of the stick because, again, we want to start a business, but nobody ever sat down and told us, hey, I know you want to start a business, but let's look at the other things that is very necessary to get the biz, get your business running. Again, let's see how you're, how are you handling your financial life? How are you looking at that? And if your financial life is weak, then the financial life of your business is going to be weak. Probably weaker. Yeah, so. exactly now, weaker because the, the cost now, is higher. Yep. Hit, hit on this for me because you said it a couple mm-hmm. times, and, and I wanted you sort of to lay it out for our listeners. You keep talking about how money works. Explain what do you mean when you say how money works. All right. When, I, when I'm talking about how money works is – all right, in, 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 you have to look at when you're looking at income, does, is what you make at a job, is that going to lead to wealth? What does it actually do? Is it just, your, is it just, it's just going to fill your home or take care of the expenses? What does that mean? Then how does it relate to banking? When you take your money and you put it in the bank at a savings, uh, or put it in the savings account and the bank says, hey, we're going to give you 0.5% on your money, but they're using your money to lend out to somebody else at 8%. She has to learn the system. And then so you're finding that you're on the short end of the stick on that one. Now let's look at debt. 
good debt and bad debt. Bad debt would be, you know, financing a car for six years. And a car is what a car or vehicle has a depreciating value. You know, does that the is that the best use of your money? You put money in there, it's going down a hole. If you invest it in something else, it increases in value. Understanding time, money, value. What what is what is the value of money? Is it what is the value of it now? How do I make it grow later? Understanding compound interest. Money can multiply over and over again. I, I would say I want to make money while I sleep, which means that I, while I am sleeping, I'm an, I have an investment on real estate, I have an investment in my business, and I have invest some money in the stock market. So I'm sleeping, money is turning over for me, and I'm going to a job. So I'm making money on a job, and then I have money that's working for me versus me working for, my, for money. Then the credit aspect of, of it is, again, that's borrowed money. So what does that mean? And how does that relate to your how does that relate to your name? So somebody is giving you money on, you know, based on your credit that we talked about. And if you're risky because you don't know how to manage money, then they're going to say, I'm going to charge you a higher rate because you're a higher risk factor. So they are making money. The, the, the poorer, the worse your credit score is, the more money they make on you because you're a high risk. The lower risk, if you if you have good credit, then they are going to um, the interest rate on the money that that you pay is going to be lower. So that's why you have a lot of people that are willing to take chances on people because they know that their money is going to double faster with risky with riskier people. You have to know how the system works, how system how the the, the financial system works, and the other aspect of it is. One of the things that we don't want to look at is not only finance, but economics is the key to finance. Economics, how do people, why do people buy what they buy? Why do they, why, uh, why do they buy it when they buy it? So understanding how people think, how people purchase things, how people, you know, when do people move, Understanding the movement of, of money. Hey, money moves very fast in the summer when it comes to rental property because people are moving. Money is moving fast, so I want to make sure that I have a lot of. Uh, I want to make sure that I have things that are available to ensure that money continues to come to me because there's a lot of money movement. So you have to understand the system of money. How does money work? How does it compound? How do, how 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 long does it take for money to double? Um, so a lot of those things, again, how does it move? How do you use, how do you utilize other people's money to benefit you? So why would I want to use? Why would I want to risk my money, Everett? I want to use twenty thousand dollars from you to for a project that I know that you will get a return on. I can get a return on, and I don't have to use my money. I'll be using your money, but I'm, but we're both making money at the same time. So we have to understand how we can use money to benefit someone that we use um, that is someone else's and how that money can come back to us. So the whole system of money, of how it moves in different areas, in different streams, we have to learn at a young age. And many people, we've seen that in the white community, have learned that because um, many of them have learned that has been their their parents and grandparents, they were already part of the capitalist um, system, so they've taught their children, and they passed on that to their children, but we haven't had that kind of access in our community so that we can do the same thing that, we, that um, they have done. But we have the ability. Many, you know, many of us do work. We just need to learn 
stop putting our money in dumb places that doesn't give us the return that we need. But most importantly, we have to learn how it works. We have to, it's a system. A couple of things just that made me think of what you were saying is compound interest. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it was Einstein that said it, that you would either make money by compound interest or pay more money by compound interest. <laughs> um, compound interest is going to affect you one way or the other. The question right. is, is True. before you, you know, and I think he said it in a different way, but but nonetheless, that's the gist of it. Yeah, you want you want to work it for you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And uh, if if you got a bunch of credit cards, it's not working for you. If you got it in uh, some indif- some investments, um, it's probably working for you. So you want to make sure that it's in a, an appreciation uh, uh, deal versus a, a depreciation deal. And then yeah, the rule and of we see people. Mhm. That that tells yeah. how that tells how fast your money um, doubles. Yep, yeah, yeah, definitely. The rule of seventy-two. Um, whether how how fast it's going to double for you, if it's a uh, an asset or if it's credit, if it's on your credit, that's how how long it's going to take it to double. You're going to owe more than you owe now. So again, you want a high interest rate if it's an asset. Where if I'm loaning it, if I'm borrowing that money, I want it as low as possible. Right. And that's where that credit comes in in effect. But what are you going to say? I'm sorry. Yeah, but I mean, you, I'm a, I'm a bit piggyback of what you just said just now. Is like, hey, you, I, when I ask you for twenty twenty thousand dollars, you could borrow the money from a bank at six percent, and then loan that twenty thousand dollars to me at ten percent or twelve percent. So I really didn't even use you. You didn't even use your money. But you leverage your good credit and everything else, and you saw that this is a good deal that I was doing. Hey, I'll borrow that tw- that twenty thousand dollars for you. I'm getting it at, at, at four. I'm gonna loan it to you at ten. It's a win-win situation. You make more money off of it. The bank makes their money off the four percent, and I get what I need. Exactly. Exactly. And you know that's one of the <laughs> so, things that I was uh, talking with the missus about, and we we're talking about my daughter's on her way to college. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, you need to take, take some of that money and pay for a college. I was like, why? Because, <laughs> first of all, the student loan is such a low interest rate. Allow that money to go on that's making 6 7 8%. Allow it to continue to grow. And then when right. she graduates, pay that off. So we that money is still making more money than taking the money out. It's not making any money for us. So exactly, yeah, and everybody, everybody's situation is different on how to leverage that. Right, exactly, exactly. But uh, but yeah, that that financial literacy piece is huge, and and you gave a lot of a lot of great yes, information. To you. Appreciate that. And sometime we'll be calling on you again. Like I said, I love talking about financial literacy so much. Hey, no problem. Anytime, has, man. Anytime. Everybody, so we appreciate it, and uh, we're gonna go to a quick break. And we'll be back in the future. Thank you. You take the clothes off my back and I let you. You steal the food right out my mouth and I'd watch you eat it. I still don't know why. 
said in Africa, uh, we we studied how how uh, Clemson played Georgia Tech, so we decided to go with that. Right. But that's a different offense. That's a totally different offense. You can't play it that way. <laughs> and what they did, the way Clemson played Georgia Tech, if they had the defensive end standing up. But, of course, the fullback's not a big deal in the, in the Georgia Tech. You know, the way Paul mm-hmm. Johnson was running that, the, the key, the quarterback was the key. But with the Citadel's well, option, the fullback was the key. And let me just say this, just... man. And I'm not saying that just because this is your show, but I watched the Citadel offense for 27 years, and nobody right. played the fullback position like Everett Sands. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, uh, Everett's in our Hall of Fame, and there's a reason for that. He kept Travis Jervy on the bench. (laughs) (laughs) But, hey, that's another story. Travis uh, Travis did a great job when he he got his opportunity. uh, He sure did. He turned that into a pro career. (laughs) But... Tell us a little bit about your background, where you've been, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I uh, I wrote a book uh, recently since I retired after 43 years in college athletics. Let me say that again. That's 43 years in college athletics, and the name of the book is The First 100,000 Games Were Fun, But the People I Met Along the Way Were Funner. And Everett, you look at your career and everybody who's listening, uh, sports fans, you know, you come across so many people throughout your career, whether you're an athlete, you're a coach, you're a member of the sports medicine or, or journalist. And, and that was the fun part. I mean, the games were fun to a degree, but after 43 years, you know, I started telling those basketball referees that my definition of a poorly officiated game was called overtime. And uh, I was turning into a grumpy old man, and uh, it was time for me to uh, do something else and uh, uh, started uh, back on my passion, which is uh, writing, and uh, I just finished my second book, and I'm toying with a murder mystery right now, but I don't really know what I'm doing. So other than that, uh, enjoying the retired life, watching sports on television, glad baseball season's uh, underway, it's fascinating what uh, Southern Conference and other uh, schools are doing playing football in the spring. Uh, but hopefully we can uh, get back to a state of normalcy, uh, hopefully this fall. Right. Now, the you were at the Citadel for how long? 27 years. The last 27 years of my 43-year career. I had stops at uh, – I was the student sports information director at the College of Charleston. And then I uh, was the sports information director at what was then called Baptist College, now Charleston Southern. I spent six years at Winthrop. Winthrop used to be an all-girls school. People don't really remember that. And when we started the men's sports, I was on the uh, ground floor of that. And uh, then I spent uh, a little time at Limestone College where Gaylord Perry was our baseball coach. And uh, then I worked in the resort industry at Wild Dunes until Hurricane Hugo told me in 1989 to start my life over. And I landed at the Citadel a year and a half later. Spent 27 years there. But uh, had a great run. 
had a, a lot of fun, a lot of bus rides. Um, but of course, it was the people that I met along the way that uh, was so fun, so much fun. In fact, Everett, uh, I'm probably the only athletic administrator uh, in the country that has seen the addition of men's sports when I was at Winthrop and then the addition of women's sports uh, when I was at the Citadel. And uh, that uh, might get me a cup of coffee if someone buys it for me. But uh, it's just the things that I've seen over my uh, years in sports. Right, right. Which, you know what, now you say it, I didn't even realize you weren't there when I got there um, back in 89. Because that was Hugo. Year. Yeah, my first. So I, mean, I got there in the in the right before uh, football season in '90, and um, of course, uh, I'm sorry, '91. Yeah, '91 yeah. is when I started there, and uh, of course, uh, the, uh, those two years, '91 and '92 football seasons, uh, uh, among the, the the greatest of my life. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, going to Arkansas and going to West Point and. Uh, a lot of travel, a lot of uh, great memories, uh, a lot of sad times, but a, a lot of smiles. The, uh, you know, I, I think of '91, and and you 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 had opportunity to see both teams. Yep. Some, but the '91 team was better than the '92 team. Um, as you look back, what do you think of that? Uh, I think it, it could have been. Uh, I was more into what I was trying to do, what director of athletics Walt Madzak wanted done. And is my dear friend, and you remember him, Ken Berger, my best friend of, of 27 years and the uh, former columnist of the uh, Charleston Post and Courier. Uh, he said that what I did as a marketing director in promotions was backdrop to the actual games. So I was more concerned about what I was doing uh, mm-hmm. in 91, and I got to watch more of the games in, in 92. And I'll never forget going into the locker room with you guys after winning up at Furman in 92, mm-hmm. and Charlie Taft just, oh, I mean, it's just uh, one of the greatest moments in my life. Is you, you think about those locker rooms, Everett, after, after a, 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 a big upset. Uh, or, or a championship, and 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 in my career uh, as a publicist at five different colleges, I I didn't have a whole lot of uh, uh, championships. In fact, I went 43 years without one basketball championship. Uh, fortunately wow. for baseball, and you know a couple with uh, football at uh, 92, and uh, of course uh, the Citadel uh, in 2015 and 16. Um, but in all honesty, uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of championships, but that, that just makes them more special. You understand that as a coach and a player, you, you got that. It's, uh, you know, winning a championship is not easy. There's, got, there's a little bit of luck that's involved with winning a championship and things got on the line for you. And, uh, well, not only that, you know, uh, you, you know, as well as I, everybody has to stay healthy. And and you have to look at your sport, your support systems. And in your career as a coach, you saw it a whole lot differently than, than you did as an athlete. And of course, that's maturity. Uh, but the uh, uh, the sports medicine people, the promotions people, the marketing people, the ticket people. I mean, everything's got to go. Um, and yeah, you got to have some uh, good luck on the way. The, the ball's got to bounce your way. But 
you know, in retrospect, you, you look at what Charlie Taft, you know, he got there in 86, right? I believe 86. And it took him five years. Yeah, 87. Okay, and it took him four years to, to get a, 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 a great team on the field. Then he got a championship on the field in 92. And, and I always say it was amazing. I was a marketing genius in 1992 at the Citadel. Uh, when we sold out Johnson Haygood Stadium, the only time the history of the facility was sold out, and I was a marketing director, and I was real proud of that. Then about uh, three years later, we went two and nine, and it was amazing how dumb I got to be as a marketing guy. Um, <laughs> so winning is, is obviously your best promotion. Uh, but like I said earlier, the things that I concentrated on uh, were the things uh, uh, during the timeouts, the, the dead period, the half times, the pregame, and the entertainment factor. And you have to realize that as a marketing director, the family has only so much income for uh, entertainment. And a football ticket is not uh, cheap, as we all know. And uh, we, we work real hard. To, uh, and, and I give a lot of credit to Walton Adzak. Uh, he, he knew what he wanted. Uh, he wasn't sure how to get from point A to point B. That, that was my job. Uh, but with his support and that of the president, uh, you remember General Bud Watts, a uh, terrific man and a great uh, supporter of athletics, uh, it all came together, you know, in 91 and 92. But as far as uh, which team was better, you know, I'm gonna let you guys who uh, uh, wore the uh, chin straps and jock straps discuss that one. I just had fun being around it, and of course, uh, in, in the locker rooms afterwards, I helped with the, uh, you know, lining up the interviews and called on you to speak to Bob Lang or uh, Gene Sapikoff or whoever. And uh, it, it was the relationships, and, and that's what my book was all about. It, it, it's all about the relationships and the people you meet along the way. And you don't think about it uh, while you're in it. But, but sometimes when you get a little bit more gray hair and something for you to look forward to, uh, when you get, you know, some hair, uh, gray hair. And, uh, but I've had these conversations with Jack Douglas of, of late. And, uh, you know, the older you get, uh, some of the things are uh, more special than others. Uh, the relationship with you, for example, um, I'll never forget uh, when you walked into my office and you told me that you were leaving going to NC State. I even wrote a story about that one. And, uh, okay. But, you know, just the relationships that, that uh, were made, uh, and some have been retained and ma- maintained. But uh, like I said, it's the people you meet along the way that was funner. By the way, the book yeah, is available was- on Amazon. Yep. Okay. Um, and, and again, and it's, and it's interesting. The the, uh, the photographs. I'm sorry. You go ahead. Sure show. Hey. And and again, the the name of the book is the first hundred thousand games were fun, but the people I met were fun. Right. So you can check that out there. On the cover, ahead, on the front cover, the top picture. The top picture is uh, I'm between Ray Tanner and Jack Leggett, the baseball coaches from South Carolina and. And respectively, and then at the bottom is a picture of me and the referees before a home football game. Now, how many people get their pictures with the referees before a home football game? I mean, I knew these guys, and, um, you know, like I said, I don't mean to repeat myself, but it's the relationships and the people you meet along the way. There's just so much fun for, for a guy like me who, who learned in uh, Pony League that uh, I better get a new career after I saw my first curveball. 
<laughs> so you yeah, I learned right there. Third... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I peaked in Little League and uh, realized in Pony League that if I was ever going to go to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, uh, I would have to buy a ticket. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. You got an opportunity to be a part of a couple of championships, baby. And a lot of people can't say that. Yep. And now, well, the thing, the thing about championships, and, and, and I'll just uh, leave on this, and then you talk about people repeating. How difficult is it to repeat as a champion? I mean, that that's yep. just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Those athletes and coaches and and the entire staff, um, you know, like you said earlier, the ball's got to bounce your way. you got to get a couple breaks, and people got to stay healthy, and everything's got to click. You know you got it going when you can repeat. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Speaking of Ray Tanner, Ray, Pan- Ray Tanner was able to go three times in a row. So, I mean, that's uh, that is a lot. Um, yeah. So. I mean, the uh, the formula works. You know, and you, yep. you just think about the, the dynasties throughout the years and and uh, the great athletes. It, it wasn't just them, you know, the team concept. Unless you're playing tennis or golf, you know, those individual sports, you got to rely on your teammates. Yep. And that's, to me, that's why I think football is one of the greatest team sports because everybody's got to do their part. And, uh if you got one guy Absolutely. that's not, it, it, it'll be successful. It can derail the whole situation. Yep, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So now, in your forty-three years of college athletics, which one stands out to you the most? Well, in nineteen eighty-one, Winthrop was in its third year of men's athletics it's second year of baseball and we went to the college world series the naia college world series and i got to broadcast the naia college world series as the sports information director at winthrop in uh, june of 1981 in uh, lubbock texas and although we did not win the championship uh, national championship clearly that's the closest i ever got uh, to something like that. And um, so 1981 was a uh, great year, obviously. Uh, 92 uh, in, in football. Um, but believe it or not, uh, I spent eight years um, broadcasting Citadel Baseball uh, on the Internet with uh, Chief Rusty Thomas. And uh, we just had a wonderful time. We were far from professional announcers. And if you know anyone knows Chief Rusty Thomas, he has one of the best, oh, shall we say, uh, Charleston Brogue accents of anybody. And it was amazing that the people uh, would come to uh, our broadcast booth and, and ask which one of us is Chief. And uh, it, was just, it was just a lot of fun. And, you know, if, if you don't have fun, uh, why do it? You know? Yeah, work is a four-letter word, but... You can have fun at work. Uh, my dear friend Mike Veck wrote a terrific book called uh, Fun is Good. And he talked about how uh, fun in the workplace can occur. And he uh, just did a marvelous job 
And um, but I also spent uh, 12 years uh, in minor league baseball as a consultant, a PR consultant for the Charleston River Dogs, and uh, meeting a lot of the uh, Yankee brass that that came down, including Reggie Jackson, uh, was a lot of fun as well. So, um, you know, you asked me what year. Wow, you can't ask me to pick three one year after 43 of them, but. I picked three or four of them right there for you. There you go. There you go. Now the um, now Citadel baseball. Right now we have one of our own as the uh, head baseball coach, um, Tony, Tony Skoll. Yeah, and, and, uh, and Tony Skoll. Um, I love him as a human being. I love him as a baseball coach. And one of the reasons I love him as a baseball coach is because he played football. And he brings what I refer to as a football mentality to the baseball field. And it just seems to be a little bit more aggressiveness uh, when you see a, a football mentality on the baseball field. And that's just something that I've enjoyed seeing over my career. Um, but, but Tony Skoll, I, there's no doubt in my mind, was the right person to replace a legend and Fred Jordan, who replaced another legend in uh, Chow Port. And between Chow Port and, and Freddie Jordan, you had 54 years, 53 or 54 years of continuity. And that's what uh, Tony brings to uh, the club. But uh, the one thing that I'm most impressed with this year's club is that they're about 20, 25 pounds heavier, each player. And as, as you know, you know, the, the, the physique is important uh, in, the, uh, in your sport. And for baseball, you know, 175-pounders just don't always cut it. So the fact that they, they've gotten bigger and stronger, uh, Donnell uh, Boucher has done a fantastic job with the strength and conditioning program at the Citadel. And, and you know as well as I, uh, you've been around uh, a long time as well, and you know how important those strength and conditioning guys are. And we've had some real good ones at the Citadel. You know, Jim Peel, Frank Wintrick, and uh, uh, but of course Donnell has, has really done a real good job. Donnell's been there for 12, 13 years now? 15 years? Yeah, yeah, o- over 10. And uh, really- he's had opportunities to leave and you know, that, that, that's the Citadel, as you well know, is a place where you can stay for a few years and come back, as you did. Uh, you know, Rusty Hamilton did and a bunch of others. And uh, it, it's a great proving ground. And the thing that always amazes me is when I ask some of the old coaches, you know, where was the favorite place you coached? You know, Bobby Ross will say it, it was the Citadel. And it's because, because of the, the uh, cadet student athlete. Obviously, discipline is a rarity of a problem there, um, and, and, and we have what I refer to as uh, a commandant's office to, to weed out some of the uh, issues. So uh, the Citadel was a great place. Uh, Oval James, I don't know if you remember Oval James, the old uh, AD from uh, Pitt and uh, UT Chattanooga. You probably knew him at Chattanooga uh, and mm-hmm. App State. Uh, Oval James will say that uh, coaching at the Citadel was one of the uh, highlights of his career and you can go back and if we could uh, uh, talk to uh, um, oh gosh just win baby uh, uh, Al Davis who uh, uh, coached at the Citadel in the 56-57 seasons 
just win, baby. Uh, you know, he, he would say coaching at the Citadel was one of the greatest times of his life. The, 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 the family, the, the city, um, it was just a great experience for me. And I really, in honesty, Everett, I had planned to spend five years at the Citadel. But I'm not real good at math, and I stayed 27. So uh, it, it was a good run. And 27 years at one place is, is, is a good run. 43 in, in one profession is, is pretty good as well. But another thing that I did uh, at the Citadel, uh, I was in the classroom for eight years. And I start, taught in the sports management program, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed uh, the classroom. And that's where I got to know a lot of the uh, student athletes. But I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the uh, non-athlete who, who wanted to take a, a sports-oriented uh, class under me. And uh, I don't mind telling you that that was one of the highlights of, of my career was uh, being in the classroom teaching uh, sports management. Of course, having a partner like uh, Mike Beck in the teaching capacity uh, was also uh, thrilling and um, it was just a great run all, all around, but, you know, sometimes um, things get old, and um, I realized it. And fortunately at the time for me, the state of South Carolina had uh, an early buyout situation, and um, uh, after that uh, I got remarried, and my wife uh, is a uh, CPA, and she's doing very well, and we have uh, since relocated to Savannah, Georgia. But uh, I get to Charleston almost once every uh, two weeks, 10 days, two weeks. My 91-and-a-half-year-old mother lives there, so I go and check on her. But uh, uh, Highway 17 is, is where we live between Charleston and Savannah, and uh, we're really loving it. You're from Charleston. I'm sorry, is that David? right? You're from Charleston? Yeah, I'm from Charleston. Yeah, I uh, I went to uh, old St. Andrews High School, and uh, my high school coach was a uh, just like everybody else's high school coach was an influence. Mine was Ben Ledbetter, a uh, All Southern Conference uh, guard uh, basketball player in 1971, uh, who uh, put me on the right path um, and uh, guided me. And uh, when I graduated high school, I had four opportunities for scholarships for sports information and um the one that offered me the least financially was the one with the best opportunity and that was college of charleston so uh once i finished the college of charleston and uh went to uh charleston southern then then winthrop then limestone then the citadel i've always been referred to as a traitor uh by the uh, people in charleston uh, the college of charleston to which i said y'all always had an opportunity to hire me and uh, said, well, we should have. And I said, well, you know, that's all behind us now. So, uh, exactly. yeah, life is great. We're enjoying it. And um, I'm still involved with the South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame. And uh, unfortunately, the COVID situation has, has caused uh, everybody to call a, a lengthy timeout. But uh, once people are ready to get back together, we'll uh, have another banquet in Columbia. Good, 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 good. The um, one of the things that uh, that I always just think about Citadel wise, and you talk about how everybody say that Citadel is one of the most favorite places to coach, um, and and I agree 
And I think it goes back down to regardless of where it's, it's, it always comes back down to the people and the relationships that you're talking about. And Exactly. And I guess for me as an alum, knowing that, one, these guys chose a path less traveled by. Um, yeah. Where I know the gains they're going to get after they finish, which they don't always understand that but they decided, hey, I'm going to do this anyway. And just being able to pour in those kids, and those kids accepted it. Um, because I think that yep. the guys at this in a good way, because sometimes it is good to be sure. good. And, and just, you know, as I look back, and I probably had a greater impact um, at the Citadel than some of the other places that I've been, at least as far as the relationships uh, that I'm able to maintain with, with with those guys. So I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Sure. Well, the thing about the Citadel athletes is, is they see further in the future than four years, whereas you look at many other student athletes across the country and they can see the first four years and and that's what always helped me distinguish uh the citadel cadet but you know there's it's just a wonderful place uh i'm not so sure that in 1973 when i was looking for a college it was the place for me in fact i could go ahead and and, and admit that publicly that uh, it would not be i would not be a good fit at the citadel um, but lordy, lordy, I stayed there for 27 years, so something must have clicked. <laughs> exactly. So hey, it's, it's one of those, and you know, one of my good friends, uh, Quincy Powell, which I'm sure you remember. Um, oh, I love him. He said he went to the Citadel on a dare. Somebody dared him to go. He never visited. He just showed up. No, um, I didn't know that story. Yeah, because he was in RTC in high school, and one of his friends said, I dare you go to the Citadel. So he applied, and he showed up. He never visited. He's like, if I would have visited, I would have never came. But yeah, I did that. Yeah, that he did. But actually, of course, you talk about. You talk about Quincy, and, and I'll never forget, you know, uh, the amount of food that we would get for post-game meals after road trips. And yeah. I would somehow get on the bus with the offensive linemen, and I made more friends with the offensive and defensive linemen because there's no way I could eat, you know, six pieces of chicken or, or two foot-long subs. And it, it was amazing. Some of my better friends were the offensive defensive linemen, and Quincy was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Alvin Brown, another one. Alvin Brown, yeah. you know. But uh, uh, I was writing something the other day about Jack Douglas scoring that touchdown in 1990 against South Carolina. This is how we opened our conversation. And I asked Jack, who did he follow into the end zone? And he gave me two names. And I questioned one of them, and then I called Jeff Lemer, the offensive line coach at the time, and he asked me, what is this, an Alzheimer quiz? 
And uh, <laughs> but Jack was wrong on one of them. Yeah, he had Brett Copeland as one of the guards, and I said I thought Copeland was a center. And yeah, uh, Lord on. and Lordy, I was right. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, yeah. uh, it's great to reminisce. And, of course, uh, uh, there was a story recently in the Charleston paper right before the Citadel played uh, West Point. Uh, and actually, Jeff Jeff Hartzell, uh, sports writer, asked me how to get a hold of C.J. Haynes. And I said, well, I've got his Facebook. I said, uh, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm recapping when the Citadel beat Army in 92. I said, forget C.J. Uh, CJ, you need to call Jeff Trend. And if you remember, Jeff had missed one, but he came back and he made one, and uh, that was a, uh, a big kick. Uh, but Jeff Trin, the uh, uh, who came over from Vietnam, the refugee, he was my cadet assistant. God, I loved him. Oh, yeah. Well, see, the thing with C.J. was, and he still holds this record, is C.J. was 100% for, I think it was like right at 100 yards. Well, he's the only guy. Yeah, like six for six, six for six or something like that. 100 yards. He's the only guy with 100 yards or more passing that was 100%. Yep, yep. So. And he came in like the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken, because Jack Douglas was injured. I believe this was ankle, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-mm-mm. Things you're making me think about right now. Yep. And I thought we were yep. going to talk about sports marketing. <laughs> Yay. You, we'll do that another making, time. Yeah, you're making me reminisce because 92 was when my grandfather passed. And and, yep. uh, and you flew up there. That's right. And Jan Taft picked you up at the airport. So I flew up the day of the game. And, uh, That's right. So I know, what did I do? Do I go to my grandfather's funeral or do I go play Army? And I'll never forget, my mom said, you know your grandfather. He will want you to go be with your team, go be with your other family, and then you come be with us afterwards. And uh, yep. And that was it. Mm-mm-mm. And then a couple of years later, Carlos Frank's father passed away in Johnson City. In- on a road trip. Yep. And he played. I can't remember how he did, but he played. And I remember that was just a, God, that was just a God-awful weekend. Yeah. Well, yeah. You I were actually coached in, weren't you? I was. I was. I won't forget yeah. that one either. That's one of the things deal with those tough things in life um, that are part of life. And, uh, yeah. you know, just to be um, and support him during that time was, was huge. Was huge. So, but it is what it is. Well, it like is we're talking it about, it's all, it's all about the relationships and the people you meet yeah. along the way. And, uh, fortunately in my career, I've, uh, met a lot of fascinating people. Uh, I've had the opportunity to, uh, work with Gaylord Perry. Uh, in a business, I've uh, got to uh, know uh, Pat Conroy very well, uh, Bill Murray, uh, one of the owners of the uh, Charleston River Dogs, and uh, I write about these guys uh, in, in my book, yeah. but uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the other things uh, is 
you know, I, I, I got to meet, I got a kiss from Morgana, uh, the kissing bandit one time. And uh, just a, a lot of stories that uh, I, I've, uh, I share about close to a hundred stories in this book. And again, it's on Amazon, but uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I just had a great run. And, uh, congratulations on that great run. Um, Cause you do 43 you, years. I shut it down at the 25, so I will have uh, I got 18 more to try to catch. <laughs> hey, you just know that at, uh, whatever you need me, I'll uh, I'd swim the Ashley River for you, Bubba. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And uh, but hey, it's been definitely fun. Uh, enjoyed having you on. And, and we will get you back on just to straight talk marketing at, at one point. Um, but I uh, definitely enjoyed uh, having you and reminiscing a little bit and, and, and talking about the good old days. And hopefully, Thank you know, you. the Citadel got a – who's going to have this weekend, do you know? Uh, no, no, I, I live in a different state right now. <laughs> they uh, – <laughs> Ways, I know they played home this week, so I mean, I'm gonna try to get down there to to one of their home games um, sometime this spring. Which of course sounds funny because they're playing football in spring. Um, but it I'm sure is. And one thing you said earlier, uh, talking to Terrence, you you said you got a daughter coming to college, and I just find that hard to believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you yeah. got a daughter. Your daughter's going to college. Jeez, I really. I just remember you in a cadet uniform. So I guess I'm dating myself there. <laughs> hey, when I came when I came to the Citadel the second time, my right. daughter was mm-hmm. she was one. And she was one. She's getting ready to... Yep. Yep. Time flies. All right, my friend, thank you so much for the uh, visit. I uh, enjoyed it more than uh, my College of Charleston vocabulary will permit me to express. <laughs> well, hey, well, you have a great night. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Take care, my friend.
am. Poems I tweaked are plugged too tight. Please, oh please, let plug to be himself, not what you read, alright? Right is wrong when hype is written on the soul. They lie that. Style is surely our own thing. Not the fault the skies of showbiz. They lie solely from the soul. And this fact I can't deny. Strictly from the Dan called Sucky. And from me, myself, and I. My person by stating I'm darkly packed. I know this, so I point at Q-tip and he states black is black. Mirror, mirror on the wall, shovel chestnuts in my path. I keep on the nuts so I don't get an aftermath. But if I do, I'll calmly punch them in the fourth day of July. Cause they try to mess with third degree, that's me, myself, and I. Nah. Do you have the answers? Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back. We had another great night um, as far as our guests. Um, we started off with Langston Moore. You know, one of the big things that he talks about is reading, writing, and speaking will take you far. Um, is a skill set that you can develop regardless of whatever the talents you have. Um, just really concentrate on that reading, writing, and speaking. And uh, then we talked to uh, Vince Hill, uh, who was a 2007 graduate of the Citadel, who started working with Centaurs. He was actually one of my tenants back in the day, which gave him the inspiration. Uh, so he said to really look into real estate. So he's real estate, he's an entrepreneur, um, he went back to CentOS, but he's still doing a, a, a lot of things um, from a real estate perspective. Uh, so he's doing really well for himself. And, you know, just being able to be a business owner, I think is something that a lot of people aspire to do. And uh, I encourage you to do so if that's what you want to do. Then we had Terrence Moore. Big thing that we talked about with him was just, uh, financial education, um, which is financial education, um, and making sure that <clears throat> you understand how the system works. Uh, and that's why I think a lot of people really don't uh, dive into it. 
but understanding how credit works, understanding your taxes, understanding investing, understanding compound interest, uh, understanding the rule of 72. All these things are, are part of that, that education. And then we finish up with Andy Solomon, uh, which, of course, Andy spent um, he spent 43 years in college athletics, 27 years uh, at the Citadel. Uh, that's where I got opportunity to meet Andy. Um, and uh, the his book, which is the first 100,000 games were fun, and the people I met were funner. You can find that book on Amazon. Um, but but uh, he's been around for a long time. And, and he's experienced a lot. But the big thing that, and I totally agree with you, is not necessarily the games, but the relationships you were able to build throughout all that time. Um, and I have mm-hmm. Anthony Sands here. Anthony, I, I, I agree totally with that. It, it's all about the relationships. You know, it's uh, the football was fun, but, but that helped build the relationships. Uh, of our teammates that uh, that I'm sure you, like myself, still talk with your teammates on a regular basis now. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I still talk to a number of my teammates from back then. You know, during that time period at the Citadel, it was, uh, quote-unquote, misery loves company. But, you know, uh, those guys um, um, are family. So, you know, a lot of them have either been to my house, met my parents, you know, met my family now, my kids, and you know, so on and so forth. So, so you're right. That that the relationship that we built uh, during those four years years has uh, has extended to uh, now 25 plus out. Exactly. Exactly. And hey, the the one thing that uh, of course, COVID does not allow us to do much. We're just getting. I'm looking forward to being able to get back to, you know some of my friends, some of my teammates, and, and just being able to intermingle freely. So as we get the vaccine and as we go on and this thing becomes less and less of a deal, um, I'm looking forward to just getting back and sort of chilling with people again. So, but uh, Oh, yeah. I got, as soon as this thing is over, I got big plans. I'm going all over the country. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm, I'm doing stuff I haven't done in a long time. I'm 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 so in tune to just to really be able to see friends and and uh, to really just be able to connect again. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that happens. Yeah, before you know it, before you know it, we'll uh, we'll be back out there again. So now, one of the things we was talking about earlier. Um, was Dak Prescott's huge deal. He signed a four-year deal worth $160 million. 126 of it is guaranteed. 66 of it is signing bonus. So that's a pretty good deal. You know, give me... Yeah. Give me... I can say for, 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 for real, I, I am so... I'm rooting for Dak. I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan at all. But I am rooting for that because, you know, the injury he had last year and to now be able to come into a new year and hopefully be 100% healthy, I'm rooting for him. Yep, yep. Now, I'm not rooting for Dallas, but I'm rooting for that. 
Yeah, exactly. Know. Exactly. I need to make sure we make that distinction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's here's something I think that's going to cause to happen. Okay. Um, you get forty million dollars a year. What is Lamar Jackson thinking now? I'm sure he's sitting there thinking, "Hey, so far I've been playing better than Jack. Than Jack. So if he getting that, what am I going to get?" What is Josh Allen thinking? So are they just raising the bar for what quarterbacks are going to get paid? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the, the bar gets raised every year. Um, yeah. and, and I know, you know, these these teams, they make a, a lot of money, you know, from ticket sales and, and all that kind of stuff. But the bar is being raised every year by these wonderful athletes. You know, it's, there are many days, of course, that I, I sit there and wish that I could have been one of those athletes that uh, made it to the next level. But they continue to raise that bar, saying, "Okay, I am I am giving you this or providing you with this. Now I need to be compensated fairly for what I do." Now, is that right? Hey, you're right or wrong. It doesn't matter. If you can still get it, get it. Right. No doubt. No doubt. On on one hand. What they're making are pennies to what some of the Fortune 500 CEOs and big money people are making. You know, um, and, yeah. and I gave you saying, see, I'm pretty much the, the capital of that team, um, especially on the field. But uh, but I mean, you know, some of those are making two or three hundred million a year. So. There's a lot of money out there being made, whether it's in professional athletics or just being, you know, an upper level management in some of the bigger companies. Um, but I wonder with the quarterbacks, where some of these teams say, "Hey, I'm going to take a chance on one of these rookies," versus paying these quarterbacks. So of course, you got Trevor Lawrence, um, which I think he's going to the Jaguars. I think that. You know, unless something happens from a trade perspective, he's going to the Jaguars. You got Zach Wilson. You got Justin Fields. Um, uh, and then uh, what's, what's the other dude named? Uh, Trey Lance. Uh, so, so you got a, you got several quarterbacks in, in the draft that's probably going to go in the first round. Um, so are some of these teams going to say, hey, well, I'd rather go on and Take this guy that I know has some some stock to him, because um, like Deshaun Watson, he wants to get out of the, out of out of Houston. Would you rather take a Deshaun Watson, or would you rather take one of these other quarterbacks uh, in the first round of the draft? And I think that's what some of the NFL GMs got to make a decision of: Do I take a guy that I know can get it done, or a guy I think can get it done? The guy that I think can get it done is going to be cheaper than the guy that I know can get it done. But then again, that guy that I, I think I know can get it done, you know, was kind of up and down a little bit over there and disgruntled. So how is that disgruntled? So there's so many different factors in that. Um, that yeah. at the gym, you got to think of. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's going to be. I, I mean, um, what I love to see um, – 
uh, Deshaun Watson in in Pittsburgh? Yeah. Do I think that will happen? No. Is Big Ben going to retire? I mean, that's another question. And then I was listening to something earlier. They talked about they want Tua out of the Dolphins. I mean, he ain't been around long enough to know he can do anything yet. How you, he's a first-round draft pick. How are you going to try to get rid of him? But I think it goes back to the society that we're in, and everybody wants to win right now. But, of course, everybody can't win right now. Um, but Tampa Bay didn't help because they brought in Tom Brady. But the thing is, is you also got to remember, is Leonard Fournette came in there, uh, Gronk came in there, uh, Brown came in there, Antonio Brown came in there. And I think they came because Brady was there, but there was a lot of pieces that weren't there last year that was on that team at the end of the season that helped them be successful. So, and that was a one year. That happened in one year. They went from not very good to winning the Super Bowl in one year. So I think everybody's going to expect that to happen. Um, But I don't think that's a realistic expectation. So, So we shall see. We shall see. But it's going to be interesting. And then uh, we got March Madness getting ready to start up. Um, conference tournaments, uh, I imagine to finish up here before long. And uh, next week we'll be talking about some brackets and March Madness and, and who do you think is going to get it done. So uh, it's definitely going to be um, interesting. Uh, next couple of March is always a fun month from a sports perspective. Because um, now we're talking about a draft. We're going to talk about um, college basketball. It's about to start to whittle down to see what's going to start the racing get tighter in the NBA. Baseball is starting up. I mean, this is a good time in athletics. So, hey, get ready for some sports. Get ready for some sports. But uh, oh, yeah. we had another great night. Um, Anthony, thank you for joining me here for a few minutes. Uh, everybody, thank okay. you for listening. <laughs> and uh, again, I wanted to thank our title sponsor, which is Nano Air Solutions. Um, as we get ready to open back up, you know, indoor air quality is so important. And a lot of people don't think about it, but it starts with the filters in your home and the MERV 13 air filters that Nano uh, Air Solutions provides will help capture bacteria, virus-sized particles, along with allergens, mold, et cetera, and, and just make it the indoor air quality a lot easier and better for you and your family. So definitely go to nanoairsolutions.com and check them out. Uh, again, uh, we will be back next week. Next week, spread the word. Uh, we're going to make sure that we do a great job of marketing this it's going to be all, we're going to have a, a, a big emphasis on college. We're going to have scholarship momentum. They're going to be on next week. They're going to talk about um, getting non-athletic scholarships, um, trying to do everything you can to, to make college as supportable as you can. We're going to have two or three uh, people from the financial aid office to uh, to talk about 
financial aid and again making college affordable. Um, we're going to have a coach that is now a, uh, a Chick Fil A owner. Um, we just talk about uh, that leadership comes from the football field to the business world. Um, but it's going to be another great lineup next week. Uh, so everybody, please um, tell your friends if you have somebody that is getting close to college age, whether they're a senior now, whether they're a junior now, really a freshman or sophomore, um, they, it'll be definitely to their benefit to tune in next week. Uh, but, hey, everybody, you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Take care and have a great night. Green salad up, green salad down. Last on the rock, got a tail the ground. Green salad up. If you can't accept it, you will leave those state troopers gluttered with their own barbarity. If you can't accept it, you will do something that will transform conditions here in Alabama. So I'm not worried this afternoon, however dark it may be. This nation will rise up live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That is another part of that great statement. Yet that scaffold sways the future. It's the strong who can stand up amid opposition, who can stand up amid violence being inflicted upon him and not retaliate.